0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
2: And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track, over his head and over the wall you believe
3: that? And 29 other MLB clubs.
2: Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, gone! Go oh, hey,
4: it's a bomb out there by the Rocks.
2: And boy, oh
4: boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a Judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the Judge.
1: Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from humidors to spin rates, to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
0: I have in front of me the latest, most up-to-date preview publication that there is in baseball. There is There is nothing more. This has just come out. This week. All the preview magazines, most everything you're going to read online was done a few weeks ago, right? Like, you've had injuries. Uh, Wainwright's hurt from WBC. Uh, Hoskins is hurt. Philly. Kyle Kyle Tucker has a sprained ankle from the WBC. Ranger Suarez is hurt. Um, Who else? Bryce Harper's already out. So, Philly's uh, Philly's got some guys out. So, uh, but this is the most up-to-date thing this has been printed this week. this what this the information in this sports weekly baseball preview is this week. And yesterday I asked the question because I don't want to sound like get off my lawn but yeah I mean the diminished role of the starting pitcher is every year gets more evident every year. And back in the day and not too long ago, who your opening day starter meant something. It was it was your front horse. It was the guy that you were leading. This is this is the leader of our staff. We're going on this six month journey. We're saying this guy is going to be the guy that is not only the leader every five days, but he helps out everybody. He is that he is our top guy. We're going to get 33, 34, 200 plus innings out of him back in the day, 300 innings. He is a major part of whether we're going to be good or not. And I asked the question, is that the case anymore? I asked it yesterday do, do we care? Does baseball care? Do baseball teams care? Is that first that first that first look? Opening day. Opening day used to mean so much. Is it just one game of 162? Yes, it is. But it is opening day. And the reason why I talk about this publication is that they have that the five starting pitchers, Blackburn, Fuji, Caprellian, Rusinski. That's all accurate, right? You would not disagree with any of those four? No. I mean, Blackburn's now Yeah, hurt Blackburn's covers. hurt, yeah. But that that would be... And the fifth one was J.P. Sears. It could be Waldachuk, could be Mueller. could be Aller. But Muller's not even on this list. There's not a list you're going to find that has Kyle Mueller. He's one of potential guys. He is now... The opening day starter for the Oakland Athletics. Love the confidence. Love the skill set. He could be a very special pitcher. There's no question about it. And when we talked to him down at spring training, the interview is still up on the A's YouTube page, where he's got the kind of confidence where he says, "Hey, listen, I'm here. I'm here to stay. I'm not going back to the Myers. I'm done with the minors. I love that kind of confidence." But he's never made a big league rotation at a spring training. He just has a handful of starts as a spot starter for the Atlanta Braves, which he told us, especially last year. I don't know the other year where he actually – how many do you have – what are his numbers? He had three last year and like nine. Yeah, I think it was seven or eight
5: in 2021. 2021, Mauler started eight games. He appeared in nine. He had a four one seven ERA last year. He started three games. He had an eight oh three ERA for the Braves.
0: Yeah, so we're not talking about a track record in big league baseball of this guy's come up and dominated. Yeah, Eleven starts, twelve games. And he said to us that the way it worked in Atlanta last year is that Atlanta obviously really deep as the rankings of the farm system come have come out, and they're still one up. God, were they number four? They're still one of the most the, the high. Braves? I thought the Braves were last. I thought they were rated high. I might be wrong. I, was I think the
5: Braves last. are last.
0: Are they last? Oh, they are
5: last. Wait, well, they don't have anyone left. They traded everyone away. Yeah, here, yeah <laughs> this
0: is what I'm looking at. Uh, 2021, they were ranked third. 2020, at the preseason 2021, they were ranked fourth. And then preseason 2021, they were ranked third. That's what I was saying. Yeah, they were. I, I knew i knew the number four. So they were, just recently, one of the best uh, farm systems, and all of baseball. And you can make a case they were the best because all the guy they brought up a bunch of guys who have helped them win and win a World Series and constantly be in the playoffs. Muller talked to us down at Spring about how they essentially had five guys. And ever turn it was, that's the guy who got the opportunity. So it wasn't like, okay, let's push him back so he can come up here. They were like, It was turnkey. It was like, whose turn is it? It's his turn. Okay, bring him up. So that's how Mueller started in the big leagues last year. My point is, that's pretty crazy what I'm telling you, and now to name him the opening day starter. So it gets back to that question that I had yesterday in my notes. Does the opening day starter matter anymore? What what does it mean? Kyle Muller could roll off four Cy Young awards, be a future Hall of Famer for all I know. But right now, knowing what you know, as you just mentioned, high ERA in two opportunities as a young player, not even that young, but you know, a young player with the Atlanta Braves, he 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 is he's not gone up to the big league level and shoved. And to think that where we are, and obviously Blackburn, you thought would be the guy, hey. Um, Rusinski has come over with some credentials from the KBO. You just signed Fuji, the big deal's Fuji, but Fuji's basically becoming your Saturday guy. Yeah, you're gonna see Fuji pitch on a lot of Saturdays. I mean, the whole idea of how this thing is going is kind of crazy.
5: We you asked me, or I thought about it, and then you asked me a, a follow up to it after, but with the help of the great David Feldman I went back and looked because we were talking. Has a guy ever gotten traded over to the A's and started opening day that same year? It's happened once. And it happened in 1976 when the A's acquired, uh, I have right here, where they acquired Mike Torres from the Baltimore Orioles in 1976 and they traded Reggie Jackson to Baltimore on April 2nd and he started the opener on April 9th.
0: Oriole great Reggie Jackson.
5: Well, The one whole year he played there. Uh, so Mike Torres, the only guy, but he had prior experience at least. I mean, Mahler doesn't. Wait, wait. prior experience. It was in the, he's like, he was like 30 when he came over. Yeah, he,
0: <laughs> he was, got in the big leagues in 1967. You're talking 1976. Mike Torres was an established veteran.
5: Back-to-back opening day starter. I mean, the, the you,
0: you, you've had plenty of guys who get traded where you traded for a pitcher and he's your opening day starter. That's pretty standard, right? Free agents. You trade for a guy. DeGrom starting for the Rangers as an example. You don't. You, DeGrom's going to be the opening.
5: Yep, that was day? announced today. He's going to. He's, yeah, he's going to. He all four and a half innings. Uh, you know four what? And a third. I, I'm going
0: to. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I. And he may <laughs> be right. Evan Grant had it on Twitter. Maybe right. Degrom will. He's barely thrown. But okay. Okay. Um, Kyle Mueller was just traded over. Yeah. He was just traded, and he wasn't traded over. I mean, he's traded over last season, but he wasn't traded over to get into the Mike Torres like to give you an example Mike Torres was traded to be in the rotation Kyle Muller was traded to come over and let's 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 get this kid let's groom this kid to be a, a big lefty for us and uh, someday be in the rotation I mean it's just it, it is a little it's a little eye opening but to me it gets back to I don't think the value of the opening day starter is there what it used to be. I don't think they see it that way. I don't think they see starting pitching. I think a lot of baseball has changed how they view starting pitching. And that's why they don't demand they don't demand a lot out of their starting pitching. They actually want less. They want less productivity. No matter what they say. And I know people will be like, "Oh, here he goes again." But yeah, I mean, I get, to, I get back to that 4,374 outs. How are you going to get them? Are you going to get it with all bullpen guys? Are you going to get it with all just shuffling guys up and back from bullpens? From from uh, the minor league system? And now you're going to go to a six-man rotation at times during the year? That cuts your bullpen now to seven guys? I mean, how that tipping point about pitching is so evident. Like, h- how are you going to utilize all these guys? Especially once you start, you know... Look, look who's going on opening day, Shohei Ohtani. They're talking about six. You have an organization saying we're committing to six-man rotation. But really, if a guy goes down, a guy goes on the IL, I mean, your rotation now really is like a 12, 13-man rotation. And is there 12 or 13 guys in every organization good enough to be big league starters? And the answer is no. There's not enough starting pitching on the planet. I mean, you just had the World Baseball Classic. I mean, that's the best the world has to offer. You're going to try and tell me you found 12 to 13 guys on each of those teams worthy of being able to play in Major League Baseball? No. And there's not 12 to 13 guys in every organization worthy to pitch in Major League Baseball. It's going to be fascinating to see how it works out. I mean, you imagine, I mean, the angels, it's already failed and they're going to, they're going to keep going after it. It's already failed. They don't have enough guys, even healthy. They don't have enough guys. And I think about us, if there's times where we go to a six man rotation and has as little that we got out of, I mean, that was one thing I always harped on about cap. And where I'm hoping Cap becomes the guy this year. Because I think Cap, I'm happy for Cap. He's healthy. He's feeling like himself. I think Cap can be the guy. They've been grooming this guy from UCLA to the Yankees to here to be somebody who could be one of the top starters in your rotation. He hated the fact that he couldn't go more than six. I mean, if you're going to have a bunch of five-inning outings every single night, well... I think they're okay with that, and then that gets back to my question. Do they care about the opening day starter, or is that just a thing of the past?
5: I think it's – we talked about it yesterday, and I mentioned about how it means something to like to guys, I think, still, like Verlander, Scherzer, if you have guys like that, but I don't think – I think I'm with you. Think but,
0: about what you just said.
5: I mean, you're looking at some of the all-time greats. I mean, I think – You're talking about guys who are how old? Close to forty. I mean, Aaron Nola starting his sixth straight. It Verlander forty. There's Aaron Nola starting his sixth straight opening day for the the Phillies. I
0: mean, we're gonna bring up that. I let me let me see. Isn't Verlander forty. Scherzer's thirty nine. How old is Verlander? Just, forty. Scherzer, just, yeah, forty. You brought up a forty year old Scherzer.
5: Scherzer's 39. Well, it doesn't matter. Only one of them is going to be able to start opening day, unfortunately, for the Mets. Yeah. Unless they piggyback oh, that's them.
0: What, yeah, they, not only are you mentioning two guys, they're on the same team. Yeah. That's how ridiculous this is. Uh, Scherzer will be 39 this year. Yeah. So, so I mean, the first two guys that come to your mind. So, I asked the question, is there really value in the opening day starter anymore? you immediately go to two guys who are 40 and 138 going to be 39, and they're both on the same team.
5: I know. I was. I, I saw it earlier, and they had it listed every team's opening day starter. It was on Twitter. I'll see if I can find it when we go back to the – or later on in the show. But the last time the A's had a back-to-back opening day starter was Kendall Graveman. And he wasn't even – the second time, he wasn't even – one of them, he only started because Sonny the first Gray one. had – Sonny Gray had uh, – Food poisoning. Yeah. Rich Hill started before that, who was a free agent, the A's brought over. Then Sonny Gray did it twice. The last time a guy started back-to-back opening days for the A's was back in oh five oh six when – or, yeah, 05 – yeah, it was Zito.
0: Wow. 05 and 06. Wow. That's so hard to believe that we got to go back to our last opening day back-to-back was Kendall Graveman, who's yeah. now – a relief specialist, now
5: closer, pretty much for the White Sox for the
0: Chicago White Sox. Wow,
5: the uh, the only free agent pitchers ever to come over here and, and start an opening day, Dave Stewart '95, Tom Candiotti in 1998.
0: That's old Dave
5: Stewart. Yeah, that's not Dave Stewart coming from the Dodgers. Nineteen ninety
0: five.
5: Yeah, that's after Blue Jays. Uh, Candiotti '98. <laughs> okay. Ben Sheets in 2010. And the aforementioned forty, what is he? Forty-three year old Rich Hill now, but back then Rich Hill wasn't forty-three; he was like thirty-seven or thirty-six back then.
0: But maybe if you want to go glass half full, is that this is the start? Mueller is six-seven; he has got the makeup, and maybe he is the, you know, the next Mark Mulder type pitcher for the A's. We're all all of a sudden. This guy's out there, and he's giving you innings. He's giving you great starts. And now with the pitch timer, he's doing it in a quickly manner. And maybe you have a battle. Maybe you throw Waldachuk in there. Now Waldachuk's battling to be the opening day starter. Maybe you build something. You know, that's what uh, Grady Fuson told us. You know, the problem with the A's over the years is nothing's all matched up at the same time. You've either had hitting. And the pitching wasn't quite there, or yeah, the pitching and the hitting wasn't quite there. Well, maybe you know this bouillabaisse, this soup you're putting together, and you're stirring it all around. Maybe that's going to come up, and if you can have a couple guys who are able to be that ace-like, and to be guys that give you big innings, big wins, and we can talk about wins again. That'd be something. But wow, I was shocked. I got to tell you, I was shocked. I mean, with everything that you have, coming up with a guy who's never made the roster at a camp, and that's where I have to adjust. I ha- I mean, I have to adjust. And I've been doing it, but I have to adjust. Even though I know what, what what works, you can never tell me good starting pitching, pitching a lot doesn't work. You can't tell me it doesn't work. We've seen it too many times. But now you're, now you're going to start a guy that uh, hopefully is the start of something special. We'll see.
5: Sorry, I'm still scrolling to see if I can find the, all the opening day starters. And you can just, we can compare where uh, – here's what Marcotte had to say about Mahler. We're excited about his future. Kyle, in our mind, is going to be in this rotation for a long time. He's put in work to get to this point. His attitude and enthusiasm when I told him, the drive of the emotion was exactly what you want. That's from Martin Gallegos on
0: Twitter. Then let me see him go out and go out and give me a strong performance. Right? Yeah. You know, let let the words back the actions. Let him come out. Let it, You know, if he get dinged up a little bit, hey, it's opening day. If he gives up a couple runs, that's fine. You should score a couple runs. Otani's not going to be in there long. Get my man on baseball reference, Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry – Stanford, we've had him on the show plenty of times. He has been really, really good to me over the years. I was his first A's interview. And to me, Jed Lowry was a great A. He was a great Oakland athletic. A lot of talent come out of Stanford. Everybody knew it, just couldn't stay healthy. But you know where he stayed healthy? Oakland and the best years of his life. So met his wife at Stanford. I mean, obviously going to Stanford in college and and then his best years as a baseball player. I mean, the best years of his life have been in Oakland, been in the Bay Area, Palo Alto in Oakland. Jed Lowry was a baller for us. And, you know, I, I I don't think he'll get into the A's Hall of Fame. I do like, I'm actually going to salute the Giants. How about that? Mark the tape. I'm actually going to say something positive about the Giants. I do like their Wall of Fame. Right? I mean, there's, there's guys that, you know, you're not giving a statue to. You're not retiring the number. You're not putting them in your Hall of Fame. But they're really good players, and they should be honored. That's Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry was a extra base hitting machine for the Oakland Athletics. He's got the record for most doubles in a season at forty nine. How many doubles did he have as an a net? You just had it up seven years for the A's. How many doubles did he have
5: with the A's? Jed Lowry had two hundred and five doubles.
0: That's a ton of doubles, man. Yeah. Seventy-seven dingers and two hundred and five doubles from a guy who played shortstop and then second base. Hell, he even played third at times when don't, Bob Melvin needed it. Don't sell him short on the ten triples either. Ten triples? Yeah. Jeez, Jed, how many times did I say in, in, in the post game show? I would say Jed Lowry, Bat him third, switch hitter, extra base hitting machine. I, I, that's the one thing like Bob Melvin could show up every day and go Jed Lowry. Everybody else who knew, but there was a time for playoff teams that Jed Lowry was your middle-of-the-order hitter. And was he great defensively? No, but I'll tell you what. Yeah, you weren't asking him to be uh, Roberto Alomar second. Nope. he didn't hurt you. He didn't make errors. I mean, I mean Jed Lowry to me, and, and, and who he was, Right. Jed Lowry was the type of A that really cerebral. You had the crazy guys, right? You know, a lot of our friends are retiring. Josh Reddick's retiring. Um, but Reddick was crazy. Johnny Gomes had to rein him in. I mean, he was crazy. He had some crazy guys. And we love the crazy guys. Remember back in the day uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, where they talked about the 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 athletics clubhouse was like, a, it's like a frat house. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Jed Lowry was not that guy. Jed Lowry was the real cerebral guy. Jed Lowry was the guy, the veteran player that anybody could go to. And you could ask about a lot of different things. Jed Lowry helped a lot of players with stuff away from the field, let alone behind the cage. He'd sit behind the cage and watch guys hit, pull guys aside. Hey, man, why don't you, you know, hey, what are you thinking here, you know? As cage a, a, Whisperer, as
5: Vince Petronio called him. Cage Whisperer. That's what Vince called him, Cage Whisperer.
0: But he was also a whisperer off the field. Sometimes, and that's the stuff that we don't, that doesn't end up on OaklandAthletics.com. That doesn't end up on AceCast, Ace Cast Live. You know, that's not end up in the Chronicle or on Twitter. The conversations, when we're all not there. The conversations on the buses, the conversations on the planes. The, you know, these older guys help the younger guys. They help them with finances. They help them with with relationships. They help you. you Jed Lowry was a rock. He was a great A, and I'm not overselling this. I mean, we didn't do a Jed lap. Jed was always good to us. We didn't have, like, a Jed Lowry show. This is not, this is, I like Jed Lowry a lot, but what I'm trying to tell you has nothing to do with personal. I think he's a hell of a guy. I think he's a great husband, parent, salt of the earth kind of guy. But as a baseball player for the Oakland Athletics, Jed Lowry was a baller.
5: I have two highlights for you from Jed. One's audio, one's video. Let's do the audio one first. But can, can
0: we can we just go over the doubles real quick, just to give people an idea? No Oakland Athletic. Not Reggie, not Ricky, not Giambi, not Canseco, not I mean, you name me the greatest offense, not Tejada. Uh, you think of the greatest, Chavi, you think of the greatest. Cespedes. Uh, uh, Cespedes, my guy, J.D. Now, J.D., see, J.D.'s a guy that I'll overlook some things because I love J.D. <laughs> J.D. True. was my guy, but he was a terrific guy. Matt Olson. Matt Olson, Matt Olson had a lot of doubles and dingers. Matt Chapman, like you, you.
5: Marcus Simeon,
0: Mark, Marcus Simeon had arguably the greatest year of an Oakland Athletic. Yeah. So was that 2019? You could say Marcus. If you go numbers for numbers, Marcus Simeon had the greatest year of any Oakland Athletic. What was a good year. And you can go back to Philly, probably the only guy that had a better overall. Uh, and he wouldn't even say overall because he didn't. He di- he wasn't the athlete. G- you got to go back to double X Jimmy Fox. Might be the only guy. Canseco's 40-40 was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was a big deal 34 That's years ago. was pretty amazing. In, in a year where you're winning the division, you're not in last place like Bonds and A-Rod when they did it. Oh, oh well, and Soriano. Were they in but last they place? They weren't very good either. I mean, but I know for a fact Giants were in last place when he did it. But still, it's amazing to go 40-40. Um, but Jed Lowry... I mean, think about it, 49 doubles in a season, 49. Give me his doubles. It, it's it's shocking. I think it shocks people. How many doubles he had in,
5: in per year? Go, go down the years with the A's, his big years. Uh, he had 45 his first year in 2013. 45. And then he hit 29, and but, then he had.
0: Yeah, but the year he had 29, he had a bunch of RBIs and bombs,
5: right? Nope, 1650. Uh, then he had, uh, then he had forty nine again when he came back in twenty seventeen. Oh, I'm thinking about eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. He hit uh, thirty seven doubles, but he hit twenty three homers and drove in ninety nine.
0: He's your second baseman. Twenty three home runs, ninety nine RBIs, and oh yes, he's an all star.
5: And then in twenty twenty one, he hit uh, twenty eight doubles, but he also hit fourteen home runs and drove in sixty nine at age thirty seven. Jed Lowry was a
0: player. Am I overselling this? No. The numbers speak. Look at his. Look at the year. He's 34 years old. He hits 267, 23 bombs, 99 RBIs, has an 801 OPS. He's your second baseman, and he's an all-star. I mean, Jed Lowry played for the A's three different times, and every time he played for the A's, he stayed healthy and he's productive. Let's honor the man. He was a terrific A.
5: Yeah, and uh quick spoiler, we're gonna we're actually gonna talk to Jed tomorrow. He'll be on the show tomorrow.
0: That's what we do here yeah. on Ace Cast Live. Let's
5: play this video. This is Jed Lowry's walk off home run in twenty twenty one versus Emmanuel Classe of the then Cleveland Indians. <laughs> Crazy to look and see.
0: Uh, who's the best closer in the game right now? Emmanuel Clase. And when you said, for, you said formally, he's still there. They're now the, the Guardians. Guardians, yes.
5: That's why I said then Cleveland Indians. Yeah,
0: you kind of went, when I thought he was. Gonna no, Clase. He's, he's pretty Something good. Happened? That
5: kid's pretty good. I think, I think he's going to be all right in his career.
0: I think he's going to be uh, somebody I want to pick up in our fantasy draft. Yeah, uh, that's this weekend. Everybody else, though, I'm taking strike throwers and batting average. I had one already, and uh,
5: Stephen Kwan is on my team. He's actually my starting, one of my starting outfielders.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Jed, tom-
5: Jed tomorrow will be probably we'll probably get him around
0: 1230. Next. You said you had a – Oh, the
5: other the other one is a radio highlight of Vince Catronio when Jed broke the doubles record that I went back and found. There you go. In 2017 awesome. versus, coincidentally, the Texas Rangers.
0: Here's the 2-1. Fly ball to center. Back goes to Shields. Still going back
2: over his head, and he won't get it. It's up against the wall. Around first into second with a
4: record-breaking double is Jed Lowry. His 48th of the
2: year breaks the tie for the Oakland franchise record with Jason Giambi, which was set in 2001. It now belongs exclusively to Jed Lowry on a double over the head of Delino to De Shields. A's were losing that game,
5: but Jed. Breaks the record.
0: I mean, think September. about that. Hall of Famers, Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson. You think of Jose Canseco. You think of, Mark, you know, we said Marcus's year. We had a ton of doubles in that year. Jason Giambi. You think of all these guys. And great players. Power hitters. Power hitters with speed. I mean... He's got the most doubles in franchise history in a season. 49. That's, I mean, not many guys in the history of baseball have done that.
5: Um, the, the last guy I remember hitting a lot of doubles, now call me. I, Lyle Overbay used to be a doubles machine. Matt Olson
0: <laughs> hit a ton last year yeah.
5: for the Braves. Yeah, we'll see. What he, uh, Marcus Simien hit 43 in 2019. That's a ton. I mean, but he also, let's for see. Short let's stop. just go over Marcus's numbers. He's played in every game. Uh, He hit 43 doubles, hit 33 home runs, drove in 92, hit 285, and had an 892 OPS. Did I mention he played in every game? Shortstop. Uh, Matt Olson last year for the Braves hit 44 doubles.
0: I mean, it's a lot. Jed had 49. So congratulations to Jed Lowry on a phenomenal career. Um, I'm not going to be shocked if he's back with us. Not as a player. But I'm not going to be shocked if Jed Lowry comes back in some form or fashion. I mean, why wouldn't you want him in uniform at spring training? Why wouldn't you want? Because I don't think Jed right now is going to jump to where his kids age. We'll find out tomorrow. Jed Lowry will be here. But I don't think with his kids age that he's going to jump right into a job. Doesn't need the money. He's made plenty of money. Uh, wants to be around his kids you know we always just talk to him about how much uh he loves to travel so but i think I think a must I mean next, you know what remind me too the next time we talk to David forrest we'll talk to him the first week of the season for the the official official david Forrest show um you know have you thought about bringing jed back you know special assistant to the to the GM and put him in uniform. Put him on the backfields. Fantasy him with, camp. Put him with fantasy. Oh my god! Fantasy camp. Jed Lowry to fantasy. I'll play for Jed. Yeah, Jed. I mean, that's you. You want him? I mean, the guy's smart. He's really, really smart, and he's been through it all. He's been through the worst. He signs that big deal with New York and only played in, what nine games in two years. And it wasn't very many. That was eating at him. So he's had the highest of the highs, the lowest of the lows. I mean, some good moments in Boston. So he
5: had a walk off in the ALCS in 2008.
0: I'm just saying it would be it would be great to uh, to have him still around as an Oakland Athletic. I think no question about it. I want to I want to explain to you what a spring training game is like. So if you ever come to a game at Ho-Ho Camp Park, or if you've been to a game at Ho-Ho Camp, you'll know what it, you'll you'll understand this. Essentially, it's kind of like a high school baseball game. I bet you didn't think I was going to say that. Did you? No. It's like a high school baseball game. So picture, we're sitting there, Ho-Ho Camp Park, we just got done with our show, or maybe we're even doing our show. Down the right field line at Hoho Cam, the team's bus will pull up. Because the teams all do their drills, their workouts, their BP at their home yards. So here comes the Angels. Here comes the Padres. Brewers, Royals, Rangers, White Sox, Dodgers, you know, all the teams in Arizona. Giants. Their bus pulls up. And they all come walking in their uniforms. Like a high school team. And they got their bags. Most of them got bags. Some guys don't even bring bags. Some of them will have two bats and a glove. And they come rolling down the Rhine. They'll walk past us to their dugout at Hoho Cam, walk up, place their stuff. There's no lockers with their name on it. This isn't the big leagues. There's no whirlpool. There's no workout. There's no rehab. There's just these empty steel lockers at Hoho Cam. Same thing every ballpark. It's not like when they show up to the ballpark at a big league stadium, they've got the name tag, everything's placed perfectly in their locker, everything's perfect, all their uniforms, I mean, it's the big leagues. This isn't that. It's spring training. These dudes roll in, drop their stuff, they come walking back down, they go out, they stretch, play some catch, let's play the game. Game ends like a high school baseball game. They grab their bag. They grab their two bats or their glove. They walk back down the line, get on the bus and go. That's spring training, folks. So being on the show and being asked by numbers, I kind of chuckle and I go, you guys do realize what this is, right? It's spring training. That's what I wanted to tell you. It's like a high school game. Bus drops them off. They walk down, stretch throw let's play they play you walk back down get on the bus this is not we're not playing for real as my kids would say for realsy
5: <laughs> we're not playing for realsy i can relate to this as someone that played high school baseball this actually i can relate to. this is
0: what i mean you we've seen it right Up oh, there's bob melvin walking down there you know there I mean, it's like this is this is this is not big leagues this is not do or die. This is not these games don't matter. No one's stressing wins. I mean, managers will say we, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we want to win down here and set the tone. This is not the big leagues. This is you're playing in thin air. We all know that the ball doesn't spin the way it does. That's that's why we put baseballs in humidors. Why do you put baseballs and cigars into humidors? So the ball doesn't travel as far, and so it spins more. Well, do you put a cigar in a humi- humidor because you don't want it to travel far? <laughs> Why do you put a cigar or a baseball in a humidor? Well, I never use a humidor, so I don't really know the answer. Moisture. You don't want it to dry out. Cigars, if you just leave a cigar out, it will dry out and taste nasty. You need to leave them in humidors. Keeps the moisture. They want the bo- They want the balls to be moist. Because the balls were drying out in Colorado. Because the, 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 the altitude, dry, thin air dries everything out. That's why when you go to Tahoe and you're there for a couple days, you're like, God, my skin is dry. It's horrible. Same thing in Arizona. Same thing in Vegas. You're in the desert. It's similar. It's thin, dry air. Your nose is dry. Your hands are dry. So you put the baseballs in a humidor to give it moisture. I don't even know if we put the baseballs in humidors at spring training.
5: say, like, do we still even do it from, do we still do it in major league baseball? Yeah, everybody in baseball. I know they were doing it.
0: Everybody has a humidor. But the thing is, balls are, once it gets warm in Arizona, <laughs> balls are flying. Balls aren't spinning for pitchers like they normally do. Balls are flying and you want and you want to go to oaklandathletics.com and click on stats and want me to believe this that all of a sudden Nick Allen last year, and we love Nicky Knox, as you call him. Uh, we love Nick Allen. I, it's interesting. That's one of the battles that's going on right now: Lednis Diaz and Nick Allen is shortstop. But Nick Allen hit what? Two,
5: two. It wasn't two oh seven, maybe
0: 202. 20 What did he hit last year?
5: That's what I'm pulling up right now. I think it was, I want to say it was two oh seven. It was. Nick Allen hit 207 last year.
0: What's he hitting now? Nick Allen is hitting 375. Okay. Nick Allen 4 months ago hit 207. 4 months. So in 4 months did he take the magic pill to where all of a sudden he's now Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn or 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 Rod Carew, Honus Wagner, Ichiro? Ichiro, he's hitting three seventy-five. He's hitting all, almost 170 points higher in four months. Four months. Count them. Right? It's yeah. Four months?
5: Yeah. He stopped uh, playing in
0: yeah. October, and he started playing yeah. in February. Yeah, He's 170 points better than he was four months ago? You buy that?
5: We can use the old ad. People, the cliche, everyone always uses one of the guys. He fixes something in his swing.
0: In four months, <laughs> in four months, you've become Honus Wagner, Ty Cobb, uh, Luis, uh, Luis, He's Luis Rise, the batting champion from last year. He's Ted Williams. He's going to hit 370 this year. Tony Gwynn, 370. That's who he is. You're going to buy that? I mean, everybody, Brent Rooker. Everybody's. I keep getting asked about Brent Rooker, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he's he's having a great spring, and there's a really good chance he's going to make the club, hitting 393. Brent Rooker has hit three ninety three this spring. Twenty eight years old. Out of the SEC, so you got Mississippi State. SEC not on the water. Not on the oh. Well, actually, I actually don't think any of them are on the
5: water. So it's not Mississippi. Yeah,
0: yeah, Florida would be more inland. Yeah, so
5: it's not Mississippi State. It is Mississippi,
0: Mississippi. State. But yeah, Brent Rooker. Can you name all the teams he's played for? Because you I mean, you've been on Brent Rooker. Like, uh, I like this guy. I've liked this guy since his SEC days. If I have to hear that again. <laughs> I like this guy. Like what? Uh, well you watch the you watch the SEC Network. That wasn't even around when he played. For uh, probably college. Not. Well, it's been around for a while, right? But, but he was, is, he's old, he's twenty eight. when Rooker
5: was in college it was two thousand fifteen. Uh let's see, he was a twin. He was a royal And a Padre? For a whopping 81 games. Let me guess. He has 12 home runs career.
0: 10 home runs. Nine of them came in one year. He's hit 316 in seven games. That was his, like, opportunity, right? Yeah. Comes up with the Twins, seven games, hits 316. The next year, in 58 games, they gave him a shot. He hit 201. Two oh one. you only didn't you want to know what
5: didn't in minor league baseball last year? Well, can can I? Yeah, just, can, can, just, I, can yeah, I finish?
0: Twenty twenty two, Padres Royals. He, he played in two games for San Diego. Nothing. Fourteen games for the Royals. Hit one sixty. So a career twenty eight year old, eighty one games. He's hit two hundred for his career with an OPS of 668 and an OPS plus of 85. So it's not like he's one of these guys, a Rob Deere, Joey Gallo, that, well, you say, I don't really care what he hits because he hits bombs, right? Yeah. If he just hit a ton. Who's the guy that we signed last year? He was with us briefly, then we put him down AAA. Oh, Matt Davidson. Matt Davidson. You got a guy that hits but You know he hits bombs, so you're going to like, eh, I'm going to look away at other numbers. He didn't have that. But you're going to tell me a career 200 hitter in 81 games is now batting three ninety three, and I'm going to believe that?
5: I mean, if you want to take his small sample size, because he started in El Paso in the PCL last year. When he By the, the way, we, we
0: could give you an extreme amount of names of guys who now have established themselves as quality Major League Baseball players. I won't even go the Stars of quality Major League Baseball players who are 28 and under. Now, there's always outliers. There's always outliers. Like we talked earlier, there's outliers, great players, bad teams. Very – and they're all pretty much Hall of Famers. But he could be a great story. I mean, it would be awesome, right? Yeah, I agree. It would be – I mean, what's the – give me – I don't want to – don't bore me with his – Minor league numbers. Is there ever a year where he had a monster year? In in the minor
5: leagues, yeah. His best year would have been uh, home run wise. He hit twenty eight last year combined between two love between two AAA teams. He had twenty eight home runs, drove in eighty seven, and hit two eighty nine. His OPS was one thousand forty four.
0: That's his best.
5: Yeah, but 19 but nineteen game nineteen home runs of those came in the PCL, and then nine came at AAA Omaha. Oh. But he hit three thirty eight in Omaha, so. But if you go off based off that, if you how many games
0: did he hit three thirty eight?
5: That was uh, twenty.
0: Do You see how people <laughs> lie with that? All right, twenty games. It's twenty games.
5: Sixty one games in in uh, in the PCL. He hit two seventy two with the nineteen home runs.
0: Yeah, you, you want to bring up Sky Bolt's numbers down at AAA? Uh, Sky Bolt, was Milwaukee Ted Brewer Sky Bolt. Sky Bolt was 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 Ted Williams for God's sakes. Um, so it's like, hey, Sky. So Sky Bolt. Uh, Brent Rooker could be a great story, and we will cover it, and we will love it. It's just, I got asked about this when I was hey, what about Brent Rooker? I'm like, Brent Rooker? He's tw- d- 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 this guy's 28 years old. Yeah, he is. Shohei Otani's 28 years old, right? I mean, you start looking around the game. Like, if you haven't established yourself as, you're talking about a guy who's 28, who's never even come close to playing every day. And that's another thing about the spring training numbers. These guys aren't playing every day. They're not. When you, get to the, when you get to the season, your best players, they play every day. Every day, the grind. Every day, Every day you come to the ballpark, you have to produce. Every day you come to win. And winning now matters. Yeah, your record, you are what your record says you are. And trust me. Thank you, you Bill Parcells. When you stink, yeah, the legend Bill Parcells. When you stink, everybody lets you know it. You don't think those players last year walking out for the A's knew we were all looking at them going, yeah, you stink. You don't think when you go to get coffee, they don't go, you stink. Everywhere you go, everybody knows you're a loser. They think it's cool you play in Major League Baseball, but yeah, you're 20 games out. You guys stink. You're not playing for anything in spring training. So these numbers... Yes, I'd rather be successful than not in spring training. How many times – you know I like to take it to other sports. How many times is that one or two guys in training camp, in football, does great in camp and in, in preseason games? You're like, hey, man, this guy can really run it. This guy can catch. This guy, this guy, this – and then he gets cut, and you never hear hear from him again. I feel
5: like that happens a lot.
0: It happens it, – it, there's, <laughs> there's one or two guys every year in training camp in the NFL – that the guy will be like the camp standout guy. And he gets cut, you never hear from him again. And he doesn't latch on with the other 31 teams and become a star. Why? How about in preseason basketball? They'll have a guy that he gets to play at the end of games, and he just starts lighting it up, and he's averaging like 18 to 20 points a game because he's playing. And you're like, hey, we might have found something here. And they cut him, and you never see him again. It's it's These games don't matter. What matters is... What happens when you show up to Oakland and now we're playing for real? Now, pitchers are now really pitching to get you out. They're not working on stuff. The scouting reports are being implemented. You're not playing in Arizona. You're back to playing C-level. It's Major League Baseball. Let's go. you going to hit 393? You're playing every day. You're going to hit 350? You're going to hit 280. All of a sudden, these guys who are camp warriors aren't so great anymore. And three weeks in, you stop talking about how great their spring training was, and you're like, why can't this guy hit? And then now we're looking down to Vegas and going, oh, my God, look at those numbers. This guy looks like he's Babe Ruth. And we know Sky Bolt's not Babe Ruth. So slow down on the spring training numbers. Slow down. Bus drops the guys off like a high school game. They show up. Hey, let's get this thing in. Nobody get hurt. And then they get back on the bus and go again. That's what spring training is. I don't mean to demean it. It's fun. Come down, be in the sunshine, have some beers, get a hot dog, enjoy actually we got great food at Ohcam. But and the new right field party deck. Are you kidding me? Um uh, but it is don't don't look at these numbers and take a whole lot of stock in it. And that's what's gonna be tough. Like what do you get like Noda's kind of fallen off from making contact, but he's a rule five guy. I think you got to play him. I think you, I. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in the belief that we're competing for the division this year.
5: Oh well, better put that up on the bulletin board.
0: Just saying, I want to see Noda play. I would rather see Noda than Rooker. About
5: three. He's three years younger too.
0: Right. I mean, Rooker's 28 years old. I just gave you his numbers. If you think he's going to show – I mean, Rooker right now would be a a fourth or fifth outfielder, which is great. Give him a job. I'm telling you, we will celebrate him. I'm just saying, I'm trying to put a roster together, and I'm trying to find guys that can help me win long term. Not now. Long term. Who gets me back to the playoffs? It's not journeymen. Journeymen don't get you back to the playoffs. Right, If we, we lucked out with Mark Canna, we lucked out with Simeon, We great. But you're not going to do that all the time. Find me some legit dudes. That's what we need to find to win again. That's why I'll take chances. Let me see Pache. If Pache has finally figured it out, he can sit long-term. How old's Pache?
5: 24?
0: He came to us at 22, 23-something. I think now. he was
5: 20. Let's see. Pache is twenty four. He won't be twenty five until November.
0: There you go. I got to find out. I got to find out if Noda can play. I got to find out if Pache can play. I need to find this out. I need younger players. That's just. I'm not. I'm not going into the season thinking we're winning the division. I want to win the division in the next couple of years. Find me guys that can help that. I need winners. What did Mike Singletary say? I want winners.
4: the power of their data wasabi, another Boston based championship team.
0: I mean, that's why when I think of a winner, when I think of a guy that, you know, men want to be him, women want to be with him, you know, that kind of guy. The guy, you know, in Moneyball, they talked about hey, he's the type of guy when when he comes in. I mean, that's that's Mike Farron. Everybody wants to be like Mike. He's calling the WBC. I turn on Sirius XM channel 89. All I hear is Mike Farron. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen. The greatness Hello, that townie. is. Mr. Play-by-play of the WBC. By the way, over your left shoulder, that's a good-looking guy.
2: You know, I'm very disappointed that there are no San Jose State baseball pictures of Chris Townsend on the Internet. We're going to need to find some to remedy to make that my permanent backdrop for Zoom calls.
0: How did you find all of that?
2: Dude, I I know how to use the Google machine. I'm not nitty
0: yet. <laughs> you you basically are in the A's offices down in South Florida.
2: I am, yeah. I'm I'm here from the the remote the remote location <laughs> of this airport hotel in Miami that also is the A's associate
0: offices. Right. By the way, I gotta tell you, you've sounded fabulous. You Thanks. got you the energy; it's electric. They've been just hammering the highlights of you guys. Uh, you know, in the earlier games, you and Spilly. Uh, it seems like you're having a great time. What's the experience been like for you? <sighs>
2: um it's really hard to describe it's been unbelievably cool, you know, and, and I've got a pretty great job, right? Like I get to cover world series. I get yeah. to cover, um, playoff games. I've been at some of the biggest playoff games in the last decade. You know, I was at holidays, no hitter. And I've been at, you know, covered the, the last two world series in person. I was at game seven and 17. Like I've seen some really cool stuff and this is like nothing I've ever experienced. And a lot of it has to do with the fans. I mean, the fans have been incredible, Um, especially the fans for, you know, the Latin American countries, they just bring a different energy and joy to the ballpark that the players can feel um, the broadcasters can feel. And so it's, it's a really special event. I'm sad that this is the end of it tonight. And I'm also sad that we're gonna have to wait another three years before the next one, but I'm also excited to see where it goes in twenty twenty-six because I feel like um probably on the heels of the US winning in seventeen, that, that's helped this, but I really do feel like this event is growing.
0: Hey, can you do me a favor and just move a little bit more to your right? Oh, sorry. Is that better? Yeah, so we can get a little more of me on there. Yeah. Yes,
2: um, let's see if I can do this here. There it goes. Is yeah, that better? Perfect. I appreciate that. I feel like somebody's looking over my shoulder. <laughs>
0: Uh, from an atmosphere standpoint would you compare this to let's say for for our, for all the fans who are not yeah. there is it got like a college football vibe to it or a college, now that we're in mm, the no, tournament No I think it's
2: I think it's bigger than that I mean I would say it's more like it's the intensity of the wild card game with the joy of winter ball I mean, I think that's the kind of the way to describe it, um, I, at least in my understanding. of What winter ball is, and I've never actually been to a winter ball game, but from what I hear, it's it's very similar to this, right? Every the players who have participated in both, who are here, um, whether they be players on the field or, or or former players who've been through winter ball, say that that's what it feels like. It's drums and songs and chants and um, a lot of laughing and dancing and like it's just damned fun, and it's not getting caught up. Um, in the wins as losses, as much as the the incredible nature of the event, um, and being able to see you know your favorite team compete, win or lose. So, I think that to me has been the thing that that I mean that's kind of the way I would describe it. It's just it's it's the loudest environments I've ever been in, and I don't know that the loudest moments here in Miami have been louder than say like when I don't know when. Alvarez hit the grand, the three-run homer off Alvarado last year in Houston. I mean, Houston gets really loud, but it's been loud like that for three and a half hours every night. And so that's where, that's where that energy and excitement comes from.
0: Yeah, we've been fortunate to go to Japan twice and mm-hmm. play against Japanese teams and the bands that they have. And I've been to an all-Japanese game where they got bands in right and left and the <laughs> Tokyo Dome and the songs and everything. It's just so much fun. You wish everybody would get to experience this. Is this. Has this become best-case scenario for the WBC United States up against the Japanese team who's played a lot of baseball together? They're, like, built for this.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's I think it definitely marries about as much star power as you can get. I mean, um, you know, the Dominican was a pretty loaded team. They didn't make it out of pool play. Venezuela did run, you know, when you Count Martín Pérez as their starter. They ran eight former All Stars out there against the U.S. the other night, so um, that was pretty star-studded. Um, but this is, yeah, I think this is what we want, right? The Japanese players are uh, outside of you know Otani and Darvish uh, and Lars Newtbar who's who's playing center field for them, the Cardinals outfielder. Um, they're kind of an unknown quantity to a lot of us in the states. We don't stay up to watch NPB games in the middle of the night, and so we don't necessarily get to see these guys. So like last night, it's the first time I saw rookie Saki pitch, and, and seeing it in person was incredible. Uh, Matsumoto, who the the who is their other, uh, you know, incredible starter, like he he was great. Like there's there's a whole lot of stuff that I think getting to see in person or on television or listen to on the radio for the first time. I think that's part of the intrigue with this. But it's a really good Japanese team. So um, yeah, I think that this is about as as good a, a matchup as you can ask for with the U.S. and Japan. And you know they have but three of the um, the four championships in this event combined between them. Japan won the last two and the U.S. won the last one. So, yeah, let's get after it.
0: So I'm not totally up on how you can exactly utilize players, and I know there's kind of rules and, you know, mm-hmm. teams only want their, their pitchers. So is there a possibility? Because I know Darvish is going tonight. You're only going to get him. He's free. not. He's not?
2: no they're starting a lefty um who is good i mean a very good left-hander but they decided not to start darvish i talked to a start, scout who saw darvish's start uh last start in the wbc and said you know there was a lot of hanging sliders in it he said it wasn't great they're starting a shota Manga who was one of the 10 best pitchers in Japan last year, but he's a lefty who's been more successful against righties than left-handers, despite the fact that he's mostly a fastball slider. So interesting guy, but somebody that the U.S. hasn't seen before.
0: That's always smart. I know my gambling guys always like to bet on people that the lineups haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. So Darvish could come out of the pen. This whole dream scenario, where I'm getting at, with the Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout, it's the yeah. Randy Johnson's warming up the bullpen, Madison Bumgarner's warming up in the bullpen that we've gotten in the World Series. Would that be allowed, Shohei Otani, to come out of the pen late in games where he's pitched, how he's pitched? I know he, you know, obviously playing in the field, but would he? Is that doable? Could could we could we even see that scenario? Yeah.
2: Yes, um, by rule, you absolutely could. So there are required days off based on the number of pitches that you've thrown. And he is considered a, a healthy and active pitcher and it was last night, too. Um, I think it would probably only be for an inning from hearing what the Angels said today, but Otani, I think, wants to pitch. And there's a little bit of symbolism in this potentially, too. Darvish closed out the 2009 World Baseball Classic. Um, and that was a seminal moment in the, the, um, childhood of a number of the Japanese players that are, you know, 10 to 15 years younger than Darvish. And and several of them have said that that was kind of their first memory of Darvish was him closing out the WBC and how much that meant in 2009. So you could see it as a little bit of a passing of the torch if Otani comes in to finish it out. Um, So I don't think he'll go very long in this game, but we get the real possibility of seeing Otani against Trout, you know, which like that's about as good as it gets, you know, we saw Otani against Tatis to start the All Star game a couple of years ago, which was much watch. And if you remember, Tatis just missed getting him. Like I love this idea of you know games on the line, and Otani's got to go through those top four guys in the U.S. lineup, which is you know, Betts, Trout, Goldschmidt, Arenado. You've got five mvp awards between the top three guys in that lineup and you've got a guy who's twice led the league in home runs three times led it in rbis and has 10 gold glove awards as the next guy i'd be amazing
0: hey i gotta say i i know you got a long day ahead of you i really do appreciate you stopping by you you've got a a lot going on there in south florida this is going to be a big game everybody's looking forward to it i mean obviously the We know the ratings abroad, especially in Asia, are through the roof. I'm hoping we get a big number tonight. You're not going up against college basketball. You're just going up locally against, like, NBA and hockey. I hope we get a huge number tonight. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. You've done a great job. But I do miss waking up in the morning, and and I I need you back every day.
2: I mean, you could just call.
0: I, I, well, I want to wake up they just and, like
2: pick up the call, phone and call. you don't like, answer hey, I
0: text you you don't answer I as, what are you
2: talking about I as, answer every one of your texts
0: as Jeffrey Lunau once said we're all lower level employees to you
2: wow wow you're really gonna compare me to Lunau huh
0: <laughs> no no we just Cody and I are low we that's what we call ourselves lower level <laughs> employees
2: I, uh, we have a friend that, uh, told us he wanted to get out of management because he wanted to be, uh, what was the, the, um, gosh, what was the term? It was, um, an individual contributor. I liked that. I thought that was good. <laughs> I don't want to be in management anymore. I'm just interested in being an individual contributor. That's a good one. It's That's a, a good phrase. It's,
6: it's a fancy
0: way of saying independent contractor.
2: <laughs> well, no, it's a fancy way of saying, I don't want to have to deal with paperwork. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, this I know it's a big highlight of your career, man. This is awesome, and they
2: being they, on with you absolutely every time. Yes, yeah, very so well. We can career. see that behind of you. all the things that's happened to me, it's one of them.
0: <laughs> well, it should be. I mean, when you put on your resume, Ace Cast is you know Ace Cast guest. It's it's right, it's right yeah. up there. Unpaid, yeah. But I love the way they've been hammering your uh, hammering your uh, highlights on on the network. So it's been cool.
2: Well, it's they have to. They're contractually obligated, so.
0: Well, hey. I made them do that. <laughs> <laughs> you are the best, my friend. And uh, let's talk soon where right. we can actually do a little more. But seriously, appreciate you stopping by. I know it's a big big day for you. Anytime. Take care, buddy. Talk to you
2: soon. All right. See you, Tony. See you, Cody.
0: The great Mike Farron calling in from Florida. Wayne, how you doing? Welcome to A's Cast Live. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: We're, we're doing well. You know, we, we were thinking about you coming out. How hard was it to get you to you know you think about growing up in the Midwest and working the east Coast uh, had to be a pretty easy decision to take a gig in Southern California
1: uh yeah for sure I mean it's uh, it's an awesome opportunity and you know get to be around uh, these these two all-time great players who are going to be head to head tonight in the WBC final it's it's going to be cool to see those guys play. Uh, at their peak every day and to see if the Angels can put together a good season and get those guys to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, speaking of the WBC, Patrick Sandoval was fantastic. The Angels have to be thrilled about that his last outing.
1: Yeah, I think I'm sure they are, but I think that more than that, they're, they're glad to see him really compete in a big game and keep his composure. I think they've had some concerns in the past that Patrick Sandoval, you know, maybe the moment got too big for him, but last night, certainly in the biggest moment of his career, he he rose to the occasion and he was bigger than the moment, and I think that's a really good sign for an Angels team that wants to contend and wants to compete and believes that they have good pitching beyond Shohei Ohtani. he's good the ace of the staff, and, and you'll see him in Oakland opening night. But Sandoval, number two starter, they really think Reed Detmers is is ready for a, a breakout season. And a veteran, Tyler Anderson, that's uh, another just guy who shores up that rotation on top of what they already have. So uh, it's good to see Sandoval compete at that level and, and make the Angels' belief in him worthy.
0: You know, we'll get back into the pitching, but the moment tonight that everybody's talking about the potential, I mean, obviously we've seen it for so many years. The greatness of Mike Trout, he's an all-time great. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Now the incredible skill of Shohei Otani. We talk maybe a potentially a once-in-a-lifetime player. I mean, we're talking about it in baseball, but I got to think as an Angels fan, the magical thing that we potentially could see tonight, don't know where it's going to happen, but the idea of Otani pitching for che- Team Japan, going up against Captain America Mike Trout, just talk about the potential of what an epic moment in baseball history we could get tonight in South Florida.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the position. If those two can get an opportunity to face each other and potentially with the game on the line, it's going to be weird for Otani because he's not starting and he the pitch. Uh, at, at some point while his team is batting and, and the possibility that he could be that the, the order can swing around back to him while he's doing that. So uh, he won't have much time to get ready, I wouldn't think, but hopefully he doesn't need much. I mean, he's a starter usually, and that could be a little different for him coming out of the bullpen, especially with him in the lineup. So that'll be something for Team Japan to have to dance around. Not sure why they're not starting Yu Darvish tonight. you think that that would be the opportunity to, to put in maybe the greatest Japanese pitcher of all time, and, and have him try to lock down the championship tonight, but it's not Darvish starting, it's not Otani starting, it's, it's somebody that's not really a familiar name to uh, American fans, and you know you wonder if that's going to end up fighting Japan, because they used their best young pitcher yesterday, and their two best guys who are pitching in the major leagues are, are not starting tonight either, so uh, it should be an interesting game, and if it does come down to Otani and Trout squaring off in a big moment, well... Certainly the Angels fans will be uh, heavily scrutinizing that particular at-bat, but uh, I think the whole country will. Everybody recognizes that these are the two best players in the game, and for them to be on opposite sides tonight with with what's on the line, it it could be really a a tremendous theater.
0: Now, one guy that we have all been looking at, and I know Phil Nevin has talked about him. Uh, I haven't been following lately, but – since we were last down at spring training a lot of people look at anthony rendon and they look at the contract they look at uh he just hasn't been able to stay healthy you start looking at his age just for him professionally how big of a year is this year for him
1: well it's it's bigger for the angels than it is for him I, i think for rendon you know he's got the long guaranteed contract he's got the incredible high payment that comes his way, and he's won a World Series, and I think he does care about making the Angels better. I think he does care about, you know, having a good season for the first time since he won that World Series with Washington. But it, let's face it, the Angels need him way more than he needs to have a good year. Uh, the Angels are, are heavily reliant on Red Done and I think they've had just 50 games uh, since Rendon signed, where Rendon, Trout, and Otani have all been in the lineup at the same time. Uh, they, they need that number to, to triple this year for the Angels to have any success on the field. And uh, we'll see. I think Rendon's had a good spring. He, he looks ready. He looks healthy. And he, we know that he's a formidable bat when he's ready and when he's in the lineup. So uh, I would hope that he's in there for a, a good chunk of the games this year. But unlike last season, in the last couple of years, you know, the Angels have filled out their roster a lot better and they've got a lot more insurance in case somebody like Rendon isn't
0: available. You know, one thing we've really been breaking down, numbers and innings and outs that you have to get with a six-man rotation. You've been around this game for a long time. What are your thoughts about the six-man rotation? And it's taking one guy out of the bullpen. I know we have days off. You can have a long starter. I mean, you can have like a, a Five and a half guy that can be in the bullpen, but you're putting a little bit more pressure and more outs on your bullpen. What are your thoughts on the six-man rotation?
1: Um, you know, personally, I don't like it, but you you also have someone that you're doing that for. You're not you're not doing it for uh, a reason. Uh, just just for for kicks, you're not doing it because you know you think it's a better idea. I think I think that even. Bill Nevin or, or Perry Menazian would tell you that they don't really like it, but you're doing it because of Shohei and trying to maximize what he gives you. So you have to do it, and you have to make the most of it. And I think the Angels' plan this year, especially when you have a veteran, too, like Tyler Anderson, is to try to pitch these guys on regular rest more often. Uh, the Angels are not planning to use a sixth starter until April 12th. They are going to consider that sixth starter at least. Is more of a swing man, uh, pitch them out of the bullpen at times as well. So it's not going to be just a traditional six-man rotation where you're going to have you know, as, as traditional as that could even be, where you're just going to have six guys pitch and, and whatever off days come come and then you know it could be a week or even more for a guy between starts. Yeah, you know, they're going to mix in the regular five more often and skip that six starter than they did last season which is a better way to do it, because you really want Shohei getting as many innings as he can. You want Tyler Anderson out there every fifth day if you can. Sandoval has shown he can do it. And you want Reed Detmers to to take that next step as well. So you don't want those guys sitting on the shelf very long. And I think the Angels have a good plan this year to make that six-man rotation work for them better than they have before.
0: Well, yeah, you're spot on. It's not traditional. It's like it's still something that everybody is trying to figure out how to maximize it and use it correctly. Where, yes, you want guys throwing, you want guys fresh, and you don't want delaying how much they're throwing. It's really an interesting balance. And Perry Manassian, uh, who we've had on the program before, and you think about – you know what he said last off season on Sirius XM, where he said, "Hey, listen, the average team is going to use thirteen starters in a year." And when you really look at that, we will sit here and say, "Okay, who's your five? Who's your six? But during a course of a season, my God, you're going to need around thirteen guys. It's scary to think about.
1: Well, it's reality. Uh, it, it, it is. I mean, you know, the Angels are going to end up sending Chase Tillseth to the minor leagues, most likely to begin the season. They're going to send uh, Griffin Canning to the minor leagues, most likely to begin the season. You know, maybe Canning makes the team, but probably he doesn't because Tucker Davidson's out of options. So you've got those eight guys already that you're thinking about using as starters, and you're going to need some of these other guys as well, uh, that that they're grooming in the minor leagues. They've got some good young arms. Sam Bachman has looked good in spring training. Uh, Chris Rodriguez they're hoping is, is healthy for the first time in a long time. They've got – uh, Victor Madero, who they drafted last year, who they really like that's in the minor league. So they're still developing pitching and also trying to have a deep enough set of pitchers to get through a, a full season. But that's 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 how it is for everybody. You're going to need 10 to 12 starters in a good year to be able to get through the entire season and, and likely more. So I think the Angels have that right. And Perry has really gone above and beyond, including the entire draft where he drafted nothing but pitchers, which felt gimmicky, but it really was to bloat the system with pitching, which he's been able to do to some degree and still probably needs to do more of. So uh, I think the Angels have the right idea about what they want their future to look like, and they're getting there. Uh, You know, They're trying to get there while they still have Mike and, and Shohei together.
0: Well, on a personal note, just talk about the change going from New York to Orange County to Anaheim. Boy, that's going to be a big difference for you.
1: Uh, It is. Yeah. I mean, I I think the biggest difference for me is that it's a a TV job and not radio. Um, You know, I've done radio for the Mets and just filled in on TV a little bit here and there. But this is uh, TV pretty much every night. I'm gonna be doing that. I'm, I'm gonna be doing the Apple TV Friday night games this year. So there will be, you know, some moments where I'm not around the Angels, which it's a little bit different for me as well. Usually I'm with whatever team, you know, it's been the Mets uh, and I, I, don't, I don't hardly ever miss any games. So it'll be, it'll be weird to not be there once a week or even twice a week in some cases. Um, but it, these are good opportunities, and when you're when you're trying to get through in this in this industry as a broadcaster, you've, you've got to take as much as you can and move yourself up as much as you can. And uh, I've been really blessed to get these chances to to be a big league TV voice and to have a, a national TV package. Uh, I mean, it's it's really uh, it's really hard to believe that it's worked out in a in a way like this, and I'm I'm grateful for it and, and ready to put this season together and, and, and give it a shot and, and see how it all turns out. Hopefully uh, it's a good year.
0: Well, yeah, you know, uh, we'll see you a lot this year. We love having on Mark Gubaza, your partner, of course, Mark Langston from the Bay Area. We got a lot of good relationships with the Angels and their broadcasters, so congratulations on the job. It's a phenomenal gig, and we'll see you in the first series of the year, so take care, and we'll see you soon.
1: All right, thank you very much. Good to
0: talk to you. And Jared joins us now here on A's Cast Live. Thank you for coming on the program once again. How are you?
7: Hey, Chris. It's great uh, Great to see you. I'm doing great. Uh, I actually get a fly out tomorrow morning. I will be on a flight in 12 hours, and uh, I'm excited to go home and get the season
0: going. How are you doing? Uh, you know, this is our first show. We've been doing all these shows at 11 o'clock. You know, we're doing a show at four o'clock with a six o'clock. It start. doesn't this kind of feel like, wow, this actually feels a little bit like a real game. We know it's getting close.
7: We're getting we're getting into a rhythm. And you know, we uh we're seeing pitchers actually go deeper into games and uh, you know, I know at least for the Rangers tonight, it's a pretty representative lineup. So uh yeah, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, for the Rangers, it's been gosh, uh probably since twenty sixteen. Uh, at least for me, that was the last time we broke camp and thought, hey, you know, they could be playing for something. I know, you know, the A's have had some really good teams, uh, you know, in the time between now and, and back then. Uh, I still think about that 2020 A's team in the shortened season. It's kind of hoping uh, they would have uh, done a little more damage against the Astros in the postseason. Yeah. But, you know, the Rangers haven't had that. They haven't had so any yeah. teams that have had, you know, a legitimate threat. And, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism and excitement so there's a little extra, uh, little extra energy leaving camp. You know, it, I think people knew what was going on the last few years and understood that it was a process, but it still felt like a little bit of a dead man walking off a plank the minute you left camp. You know, you weren't really, you weren't really flying back home to go play for something. And I think that feeling has uh, re-energized a lot of people this year.
0: Well, first and foremost, uh, give our best to Eric Nadell, the great Hall of Famer, who's come on this show many of times, so I know is not doing well health-wise. He, he means so much to that franchise, to all you guys there, especially the broadcast crew, a Ford C. Frick Award winner. So give him our best because he is such a special man.
7: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I speak with Eric every day, um, you know, either by phone or text. And uh, he got a lot of people uh, who who reached out yesterday, and um, I know it meant a lot to him. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's – trying his hardest you know it's one of those things you know when you're dealing with with mental health challenges you can try really hard and that doesn't necessarily help but he's doing everything he can and uh, i know a lot of people uh you know obviously on our side are in his corner and um you know we hope to have him back as soon as possible
0: so there there obviously is a lot of reasons to be excited if you're a texas rangers fan. i felt so bad for ranger fans you open up this new ballpark and then it's covid so you're not able to have everybody in there you you never got a chance to have that honeymoon and it and, you know just it is what it is i felt bad for ranger fans but you know you got a team that's going for it you're spending a lot of money bruce Bochi is now the manager like like what what what's the one thing when you say you know what people are suit to groms here i mean what, what what's the thing people are super excited about
7: well Rangers fans really have not—I don't want to say never—but I, I don't think Rangers fans really can point to a time where they've had an outstanding rotation. Uh, maybe the early '70s teams—you know—they had statistically a really good rotation. There have obviously been some really good pitchers who have come through, like Nolan Ryan, Ferguson Jenkins, and yeah. you know more recently you Darvish and Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels and the teams in 10 and 11 that went to the world series they had good pitching you know cliff lee just hit another gear in the playoffs but i don't think their rotations were anything close to what the rangers have right now and you know these guys are all healthy right now and that's the key uh keeping them healthy but uh, this is i think a lot of people would tell you this is the best rotation the rangers have ever had going into a season uh, and uh you know obviously the organization hasn't been around for 100 years but you know, we're, we're beyond 50 years. And so uh it was tough for the Rangers to recruit pitching in the old ballpark, you know, whether it was the heat or just the fact it was a, you know, extreme hitters park with a jet stream uh, they're in a new park now. And I don't think Jacob deGrom signs a contract with the Rangers, if they were going to be pitching in a hundred degree heat uh for, you know, three and a half months out of the season. And, you know, you give up a fly ball off the end of the bat, And if it's it's to right field, you're in trouble. It's going to be a home run. Uh, and so I think it's just exciting for people that they're now in a position to attract good pitching, great pitching. Uh, and if they can keep these guys healthy, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun knowing that every night you go to the ballpark, you're going to have a, a really good chance of having the better starting pitcher in a given starting pitching matchup.
0: Now I haven't traveled with the team since before COVID. So I haven't, I've only been to the old ballpark. Uh, just watching whether it was the playoffs, the World Series, now Ranger games. It seems very fair. If not, would you call it a pitcher's park?
7: Yeah, I think, I think fair is, is the perfect way to characterize it because there are times like in the, the postseason in 2020. So it's funny. I, the regular season in 2020, we we're all, oh, this is a big-time pitcher's park. I think what we didn't realize that the Rangers weren't very good. And offensively, they weren't very good. So and, they weren't scoring a lot of runs. And, and we were a using a different
0: goals. baseball in 2022. What's Oh, that's <laughs> true. Yes,
7: yes. But then in the postseason, you know, the Braves and the Padres, I mean, they were just, you know, hitting home runs left and right. Uh, the ball definitely carries more when the roof's open than when it's closed. But I would say it's fair. Um, I think in the summer months, even though it's you're playing predominantly indoors from, Uh, early to mid-May until probably September. Uh, We do notice that there's a little more carry when the roof is closed in the summer than when the roof is closed in colder temperatures. Uh, But I'd say that, yeah, I think fair with a little bit of a leaning towards being a pitcher's park. But it is definitely not an extreme pitcher's park. Like I think some people uh, characterized it in 2020 and, and, you know, first impressions stick. So I think people heard that and there's still people I'll see writers write a story and, and mention out, you know, and it, it's an extreme pitchers park and it's just not, uh, it is kind of in the middle and some years it might lean a little bit hitter friendly based on the lineup. Uh, but I think, you know, everything, all, uh, all things being equal, it probably leans a little bit to the pitcher side, but not much.
0: When you talk about Bruce Bochy, you talk about leadership, somebody that's been there, done that, Obviously three world titles of the San Francisco Giants. He took the Padres to the world series back in 1998. Now that you've gotten to be around him, just talk about what the experience has been like and how he's changing the organization.
7: Yeah. I mean, and I didn't get a chance to hear this, but you know, every, every camp, I'm sure you kind of get a, a, a opening statement or, or speech from the, the manager. And apparently the, speech that Bruce Bochy gave left players wanting to start the season right then and there. Uh, it, it really fired people up. And if you just talk to him casually, you know, he's, he doesn't move super well. He's had, you know, double <laughs> knee replacement surgery and uh, you know, he's, he'll, you ask him a question, he'll think about it. And, uh but I, I wouldn't take maybe slow actions as someone who's just not with it. He is incredibly sharp. It's been, Honestly, for me, just geeking out, it's been a ton of fun listening to him answer a lot of the questions that he gets tossed every day, just the way he thinks through things. And then talking to the players, I mean, the players, you know, first of all, there's a ton of respect, right? You know, a guy like Bruce Bochy walks into a clubhouse, uh, their skin's on the wall. But I think what's really been interesting is all these guys talk about how funny he is and how engaging he is and how much they've enjoyed being around him, which is something maybe – you know, a younger manager might have a leg up on just kind of being more with it. And I don't think anyone would mistake Bruce Bochy for being hip or, uh, you know, with the times and some of the pop culture stuff that, you know, your, your average 27 year old baseball player would be, but he's really sharp and he's, he's witty and he's quick. And uh, I think it's been cool to see how he connects with players who are a lot younger than he is. Uh, And, you know, this coming after a three-year hiatus Uh, And I think just from a, you know, a a, a success or something that could translate on the field into, in terms of success, you know, he's really harped on the fundamentals. And I know people will say, Oh, these are major league players. The fundamentals should not be something they need to worry about. And I guess, you know, that's your opinion. That's fine. I watched a ball club last year that struggled mightily with the fundamentals, be it on the bases in the field. It's not, it's not just, Hey, fielding a routine ground ball. It's, hey, in in this situation, in a snap second, am I going to make the right decision on where to throw the ball? Or when there's a runner at third, I mean, there's a game, Chris, that stands out right at the beginning of when the Rangers began a tailspin. They were down one in the eighth inning in Baltimore, and they had a runner at third and one out, and the infield was back, and there was a ground ball hit to second, and the runner at third did not go home. And I spoke to someone in the organization about that, and they just said, We don't do a good job, or we did not do at that time a good job of really harping on the fundamentals. And it was a coach who took accountability, said, hey, that's on us because our players are not prepared to execute the fundamentals. And it's one thing to know it in spring training. uh, When you get the lights shining down and 40,000 people, you're going to make the right decision. Uh, And I think that's been a big focal point for Bruce Bochy and just the coaching staff in this camp that hopefully will help the Rangers Uh, coming off a season in which they had the worst record in Major League history in one-run games and and trying to turn that around.
0: Let's end on this. To me, the Rangers got a puncher's chance because they got offense. I mean, Marcus Simeon, who to us is one of the greatest guys who have ever played this game. He's salt of the earth human. Seager can swing it. Lowe can swing it. They're going to score some runs. So talk about the offense. If you do get the pitching, you know the offense is going to be there for you.
7: Yeah, and you know, even though the team was really poor last year, I, I think some people maybe forgot that they had. A, I think it was like the fifth or sixth ranked lineup in in the American League in terms of runs per game. Which isn't listen. No one was going to look at last year's lineup and say, "Hey, this is man a great lineup." Pitchers are scared to go through. Uh, but I, I think that this lineup is going to be really good. The question is, are they going to have the lineup depth? Is Josh Young going to be able to contribute in a way that? Extends the lineup. Robbie Grossman, who, you know, great former guy, a, right? Yeah, and, great guy. Uh, really bad year last year. He's looked really good in camp. Now, I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, spring training is spring training, but I think the Rangers are optimistic. He can provide some depth in the bottom half of the lineup. But I, I really think Corey Seeger is going to have, uh, you know, if he can stay healthy, um, an outstanding year with a shift no longer taking hits away from him. You know, Marcus Simeon, I think he had a lot going on last offseason. I know he. A lot going on. He's moving a wife and three kids to the Metroplex. Uh, he's on the executive committee during the lockouts. Uh, a new organization, a new team. A lot of people were looking at him to take on, you know, a lot of leadership responsibility. He got off to a slow start and it snowballed. But after he hit a grand slam actually in Oakland in late May, he was one of the best second basemen in baseball from that point on. Uh, and I think the Rangers are confident they're going to get more of that guy as opposed to the guy that started the season. So uh, yeah, this is not going to be like the best lineup in the American league by any means, but I think this is a lineup that is going to take a step forward from where it was last year. Uh, The question really is the bullpen, you know, health with the rotation, but if you get normal level health, uh, I think the question is the bullpen. And I don't know that the Rangers necessarily at this time have answers as to who's going to, Uh, give them the big outs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of confidence about the lineup and the rotation.
0: All right. We get, whenever we play you guys, because we're going to see you on April 21st, 22nd, 23rd on television, the boomstick will be shown every single night on television. (laughs) Uh, is this something you could take could you take down and folks if you don't know what the boomstick is google it it's like the largest hot dog you've ever seen could you take down by yourself a boomstick
7: It's one of my biggest flaws in life is that I don't think I ever get full uh and it's why I have to work out every day because you could do food. it Yeah I I could do it I and I will I would be more than happy to take on that challenge. Uh I could I could take down the boomstick by myself for sure. And, and, you, and I don't know that I'm proud of that to
0: be honest with you. And I'd give you a full game. I give you the full game. So you'd have to all it doesn't have to be like the first 3 innings. I'll give you all 9 innings.
7: Well, but I'll tell you, here's the strategy. I think if you're if you aren't sharing it and your goal is to finish it, if you slow play it, it might that's going to be tough cuz here's what's going to happen. You're going to allow yourself to get full and then you know, by the second, third inning, you're not going to be feeling good. You'll then get hungry again by the sixth or seventh inning, but that thing's going to be really cold, and now it's going to be incredibly unenjoyable to eat. So I think, and I could be wrong, I think if, if you are trying to crush it solo, the strategy is to not totally go Joey Chestnut, but don't give yourself the opportunity to catch your breath and get full. So I, I think, I could be wrong, I think the challenge is if you do have to pace yourself, making sure that you're powering through that stomach when, you're, when you are full. Uh, because once it settles, you're going to have a really tough time.
0: You bring up the great Joey Chestnut, San Jose State alum. That's where I went oh. to school. So when you think of San Jose State, you think of Bill Walsh, Joey Chestnut, Dick Vermeil. We've got Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL and Hall of Fame eaters out of San Jose State.
7: I'll tell you what, I, I think my calling, Chris – I honestly believe this. I, I should have been more committed to, like, some sort of professional <laughs> eating path. I, I think It's never I, too late, pizza, my friend. I know. I know. Pizza, ballpark foods, and Cadbury's milk chocolate eggs, I think I'd be able to crush anyone.
0: Hey, if Mookie Betts in the offseason can be a bowler, Madison Baumgartner can be a roper, you could be a competitive eater in the offseason.
7: I'll, I'll have to start training. And, hey,
0: San Jose State – Kevin
7: in San Jose State, as well, right?
0: Yeah, he's kind of.
7: Yeah. Uh, we don't. Okay, all right. Okay, we'll, what, pass, no, on, we'll pass on. We'll
0: pass Yeah. So, Fran. So, I played baseball too at San Jose State. We always go. Mark Langston is our great player. Got it. Okay. Mark that's fair. Fran that's fair. Franzen, yeah, he's on Sirius XM. Does a little TV. He's okay. Yeah, yeah, we got. Big. We got. We can't
7: let his head get too big. Ken
0: Caminetti, former MVP. God. God rest him. Uh, was a San Jose former State. Former Ranger. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah, we go, we go, we go, Mark Langston. Don't, don't get okay. Fr- Fr- Franny's head. Fr- Franny, uh, Franny head's big enough already.
7: Yeah, no, no, that's, and, and Mark's a great guy. He puts up with a, with a lot. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, one of the best fielding pitchers probably of his generation, uh, not Greg Maddox, but, but probably that next tier. He's a guy, a heck of a career.
0: Well, thank you so much for the time again. We always love it, and we'll talk to you here in a couple weeks. Good luck to you guys. Hey, get go. you get to go back home. You get to sleep in your bed. I mean, that is all good for you.
7: I cannot wait. Chris, thanks so much, and best of luck to everyone uh, in the Bay, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Be well. You
0: as well. Great stuff. Good stuff.
7: Okay, picture
3: this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
6: I'm good. How are you guys doing?
0: Uh, well, you know, we were just talking a little double WBC, but we've been going around to every camp, and obviously the Mariners' camp, very, very interesting, as they're a team that if you're thinking if the Astros are gonna they're gonna slip, it's the Seattle Mariners who will be there waiting.
6: I mean, that's what they think for certain. I mean, they they've made that their goal. You know, usually. In past years, they've kind of been kind of nebulous in their goals, like, oh, I just get better every day and everything like that. But now that they've <laughs> made the postseason, they're coming after the Astros. They say they want to win. Their goal is to win the American League West uh, and, then, you know, dethrone the Astros. And it's a it's a nice goal to have. I don't know if it's realistic all the time, but, I mean, they're probably closer to they're – they're in a better position to do it than they've ever been, I guess would be the way I'd put it.
0: What did it mean for the city to finally taste postseason for the first time? since 2001
6: oh it was it was massive um you know it like everybody talks about the seahawks and for a long time the seahawks yeah. ruled the city um and, and there's still a lot of interest but even when i was an intern back in 2000 with the newsroom in tacoma i was out there and i saw what when the baseball team is good what it means to that city and it was craziness like the last month of the season you know it was tons of fans every day um, just in an excitement when you're when you have a, a team that's in the playoff race in that last month of the season there's nothing better than baseball and then we saw you know in the 18 inning game and just the excitement over this team it's it's been huge for the city and the anticipation for this season is really high I mean I've been covering the Mariners since 2006 and I don't remember it ever being this high you know last year was they fl- felt like it was a playoff team this year they, they feel like it could be a division contender. Fans believe it, and it's, you know, we're seeing it down here. There's fans everywhere. Um, you know, you go to these these games on the road even, there's more Mariners fans than there are. like when, you know, Obviously, like Cleveland doesn't draw well or Milwaukee or some of these places, but you just seen more Mariners fans than you ever have down here.
0: Well, that moment was against us last year. God, I always want to call it, uh, it's T-Mobile. I always want to call it Safeco uh cal raleigh right went deep and clinched and all the ace players who you know a lot of them are gone but everybody just sat sat there and went wow what a cool moment you know as we talk about the, the the mariners are the last team not to make the world series you need moments like that to eventually get to a world series but what was that moment like we were watching it on television back here on the bay that seemed special
6: yeah, for me, I was just happy they finally did it after kind of screwing around for about a week and, you know, just not winning games and and prolonging, I wouldn't say the agony, prolonging the ecstasy, you know, we're sitting there trying to plan our playoff trips and trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do with all this. And, uh, you know, they just weren't winning games, you know, they went down to Oakland didn't play very well. And so when they finally got it done. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, just and I think everybody knew it could happen that night. And I think also the idea that they won the game, like they didn't, you know, because there was a chance that if the Orioles had lost that day, that earlier in the day they would have clinched without winning a game or whatever. And so the Orioles won and for Cal to hit that Homer and the way it did, it was it was pretty perfect, uh ending you know, or beginning, I guess, too. But it was it was uh, it was fun. I mean, like I had pre-written kind of a large part of my story about making the postseason before it happened just to have it ready and then just kind of work all the Cal stuff in because it's like, you know, it's 21 years. It's, they've yeah. been there. So there's a lot's happened in 21 years uh, of going without the the postseason. sort of trying to try and write it up was interesting, but it was cool. Like, I, I mean, like I'd never, you know, I'd watched the A's clinch uh postseason spots twice in Seattle. If I recall, I might've been three times. Uh, I remember seeing the writers come up doused in champagne and everything. I was like, yeah. That looks interesting. I don't know if I really want that aspect of it, but it, it seemed like it would be cool to cover.
0: Yeah. You know, when, when, when I think about leadership and you want to have kind of everybody pulling on the same rope, I think about service. I think about Depoto. I mean, these guys go all the way back to their days as players together with the Colorado Rockies. Just talk about how, what you have there up in Seattle where everybody's on the same page
6: yeah i mean like continuity is huge you know it's just huge when you you're trying to build something and that, and that was a problem with the mariners like this is a team that fired bob melvin after a, you know he had too many seasons yeah so like you know it's they they after Pinella, there was scott service was the first manager that i ever covered that got a contract extension now he's had two of them like i i covered a That's lot crazy. of managers. yeah i mean i like i think it was after you know i got there I covered Piniella as an intern, then I, I didn't have Bomell, but then Hargrove, John McLaren, uh, Jim Riggleman as an interim, interim Don Wakamatsu, uh, Darren Brown as an interim, Lloyd McClendon, Eric Wedge, and that, I don't know, might be different order, and that, now Scott Service. I mean, like, I've covered a ton of managers, and, and you know, I've covered Gil Bavese, Jack Sorensic, now Jerry DePoto as GMs. Like, they've had the same group in place, and when you have the same group in place, you have the same philosophy in place in terms of what you believe makes you a winning baseball team. I mean, I know with the A's for a long time, you know, it was market inefficiency and that's how they won their games. You know, the Mariners obviously they've come in and they have their own ideas about what makes them successful. It's about strike zone control, pitching and hitting, you know, all these different things. And then they go out and they get players that match that, you know, that fit that what they want to do, you know, and they believe in having athletes and all this other stuff, run prevention. So all these things that they believe in the the organization has allowed them the time to build it up you know it's not like a college football team where you get three years and they fire you you know you got to get your own recruits in same with the mariners they've been able to draft develop and get the players that they wanted in and then kind of build it up i mean there are probably plenty of times where we thought you know maybe jerry and scott were done you know even last year they were they were 10 games under 500 on june 19th and they were going nowhere slowly and it looked like it was going to be a miserable year and and there was talk that somebody was going to get fired um, the, the ownership here has allowed them to kind of, you know, come back and, and stay in place. They allowed them to do this, the, the rebuild, knowing that, you know, 2019 and even possibly 2020 was going to be tough in terms of wins and losses. And, you know, what's happened is, is it came to fruition a little bit faster as a rebuild. They, they, were, they were successful in 21. They won 90 games. They make the playoffs last year winning 90, 90 games. Then you look at their roster, there's a lot of young talent in place to make a run at the Astros this year and maybe next year as well.
0: I just look at the projected rotation. Now we talk about here all the time. You're going to need more than 10 starters. It's just the reality of baseball that the average team is going to use around 12, 13 guys. But when I think about Castillo coming over, I mean, he's ace-like. He signed the extension. Gilbert has tremendous talent. Ray under contract. Kirby, Kirby. Uh, I mean, you got to rotate Gonzalez. I mean, just think of the guys. Just talk about if you look at a big-time strength that's definitely in the rotation.
6: Yeah, I mean, the the pitching in general, the bullpen and the starting, the rotation. I mean, like, this is what happened last year, and it doesn't happen often, rarely if ever, especially last year, too, because of the quick ramp up to the season. But the Mariners never had a starter miss an outing uh, due to injury. They never had one starting pitcher go on the injured list at any point. Matt Brash started the season in the rotation. kind of, yeah, I kind of pitched his way out of it. They brought in George Kirby instead. He made all of his starts. Brash moved to the bullpen. You know, they, the one times that they've had to use other starters was they were, they were kind of resting George Kirby to tro- control his innings. So they optioned him out right before the all-star break. So they could control his innings count, but yeah, he's, they have, yeah, they didn't have that. You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. But, you know, you look at you, have those five guys. You have Marco Gonzalez, who two years ago was a player that got 3.5 war. That's a very valuable pitcher. Uh, you have him as your number five. And then you still have Chris Flexen in the bullpen, a guy that won 15 games in 2021, available if, as a spot starter. And then if you look at their prospect list and kind of what we've seen this year, all their top prospects that are ready to kind of contribute, are all pitchers you know they have a kid named bryce miller who'll start the season at double a throwing 99 with a slider they got emerson hancock the, i think the fourth overall pick who's kind of figured some stuff out he'll be there and they they kind of stole a guy from the giants named prelander barroa who's throwing 100 miles an hour with a slider and they have all those guys waiting to help so it's like yeah they you know you if you're going to use 12 pitchers in a year you want to make sure that you have you know they have in line about nine really good pitchers that they can call up with real stuff. You know, you're not call, calling up a quad A guy just trying to hope that he gives you an outing and pieces it together. No, they have real guys. I mean, and even honestly, like they have Tommy Malone, who's like 100 years old, but he'll get out at the big league level if you put him in there and use him in the proper way. So they have depth at starting pitching that they haven't had. And a lot of people think they should trade some of that depth to add to their offense, like move Chris Flexen to help out. But right now, I think they're going to keep him because they want to have that, that depth and that insurance in case one of these guys does get hurt.
0: The USC Trojan, our old buddy Tommy Malone, a guy who started playoff games for the Oakland Athletics. It's always great when he gets called up and we're able to have him again on the show. And then when I look at the lineup, I mean, Julio Rodriguez, from the first time you looked at him, you went, this kid's got it all, right? He's got speed. He's got power. He's got the beautiful smile. He's got He's got star written all over him. The question always is, and we've been hearing about it for years, is is Kelnick legit or not? I mean, last two years I got, he's hit like a buck 86 the last two years. We've heard so much about him since he got the trade. He was the uber prospect. He was the guy that was going to be great. Uh, would you buy stock in him?
6: Yeah, I would. I don't know that I'd buy stock in him being like the star that everybody thought he was going to be, but I think he, he's going to be a good major league player you know, I think he'll be a productive major league player. You know, I think a lot of with what Jared's path to the big leagues has been kind of skewed with, you know, the accusations of, of, um, service time manipulation and, and, yeah. you know, wanting it to get that contract and trying to show who he is and, you know, outside influences like agents and family and all this stuff, trying to push him a little bit faster than he needed to. And even the Mariners were guilty. I mean, like, you saw it a couple of years ago, how much they hyped them, you know, their see us rise campaign, which is all focused on prospects. And, you know, they brought him up after five AAA games after they said they weren't going to do that. So you bring him up and, and he fails and they didn't really know what to do. And then they had to leave him out there because they had so many injuries in the outfield. So they didn't really help set him up for success. And I think it was a hard, hard lesson for Jared because he would never failed before. And just how that how he reacted to it. Um, and I think this offseason, he just changed up a lot of parts of his life. You know, he, he stayed down in Arizona full time, went to Southern California and worked with private hitting coach that the Mariners were more than happy to let him do. Kind of the first time in his life where he got away from the people that had taught him hitting and taught him to be a player, you know, growing up. And he found new voices. And you look at him now, he's just a lot more calm the swing changes look great. He's athletic. He's finally using his athleticism. He's not built like a bodybuilder anymore. He's, he's still, I mean, like, it, you know, he still looks like one of those Scottsdale bros that's over here down in the Valley, but like he can move now, like he's allowing the athleticism he's had always to play more than trying to be a guy that's just trying to all or nothing swings and trying to hit for power. So I think it's going to be better. You know, do I know, like like we were talking about the other day with our, i call him a slurry stones like if this kid hits you know if he just improves marginally to hit 240 i mean the how hard he hits the ball you know if he hits 240 has enough contact rate to hit between 240 and 250 just this year you're talking 20 doubles 25 doubles and at least 25 homers because every ball he hits is over 100 miles an hour off the bat so like if he can clean up the contact rate make contact more consistently the lack of shifts I mean, all that stuff should should, you know, lead to success in terms of results. I mean, we've already seen it this year. He has with two strikes a couple of times or quite often and with two strikes. He's not trying to hit a, a bomb and like sell out swing. He's taking the breaking ball, hitting it up the middle for a single because there's guys not there anymore. You know, so I think the no shifting, the change in his, his approach at the plate, the swing changes, everything else should help him to be you know, a, a, a good major league player. Will he be an all-star? Maybe not this year, but maybe, you know, with this success, if he has some sort of success this year, maybe he gets back to the talent track or the potential track that everybody thought he would be because nobody plays harder. I mean, like this kid works his ass off. I, I, I've i been impressed like that. You know, sometimes you almost think he takes everything too seriously, but he really does work hard at, at being good at this.
0: You know, I've been down to spring training three times this year. And every single year you have one thing that you take away from camp. And I think this year your line, a Scottsdale bro – I think that will be the number one thing I take away from spring training in 2023. Because if you've been down to Scottsdale and Old Town Scottsdale at night, you know exactly what you're talking about.
6: Yeah, I mean, you got to have a barb, you got to have a tribal tattoo of some sort on your arm. You know, a little bit of a, a tank top, a lot of gel, a lot of gel. You, you, you just come from, you probably just went to the gym, did some curls. Got to do the curls you know, for the, the girls. Yeah, build it up a little bit, and then you, then you know you go out there and, and you, you rock it a little bit, but no, yeah, it's definitely, you know, and Jared is not like a Scottsdale bro in very many ways, but like, you know, he's got the look like we used to joke that he looked like, you know, because he had a little cockiness to him that he was Johnny Lawrence from the Cobra from the original karate kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. but he's really is not, he's kind of the opposite of that in a lot of ways, but that's what, you know, he has that look, you know, he's, I mean, she, geez, if I look like him, I'd be wearing tank tops all the time and going out in Scottsdale too, you know, like, but it's it's pretty funny. Like, I really do like Jared. I think he's – I find him to be entertaining, and I like how he plays the game, and I, I really do, you know, like, you know, I don't really, – you know, I'm not a fan of the team or whatever, but, like, I'm happy if he has success because I like him. I've known him, you know, for a long time now since he first came over here, and I feel like, you know, some of the stuff that's happened to him, you know – you know, and kind of messed up his path to being successful. Some of it's on him. Some of it's on the people around him. Some of it's on the Mariners. But I think some of it, like, the criticism has been unfair. Like, not everybody, you know, is good right away, you know. And, you know, whether or not he kind of can stay good is the big thing. And I think he'll be okay this year.
0: Let's end on this, because you look at the lineup. Obviously, Ty France can be a monster. Suarez, it's bombs. Teoscar Hernandez gets brought over, Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock. Uh, We mentioned J-Rod's a star. Uh, It's an interesting lineup that can score way more runs. you got the pitching staff. So, I mean, it's it's kind of the question, what has to happen for the Mariners to take over and be more than just a wild-card team to truly battle the Houston – is it the Astros falling a little bit? What has to happen for the Mariners to win the AL West?
6: Yeah, I think it's – it's um, the Astros definitely have to take a step back. Maybe it's their pitching. They have such good pitching. You know, it rivals the Mariners. We saw that, you know, 18 innings of just striking out guys in Seattle. I think the Mariners have to take – or the Astros have to take a little step back, and the Mariners need to find more consistent offense. You know, last year they just go through horrible droughts of where they just didn't score runs, and it was Ty France and Julio doing everything. They need to have more consistency, and I do think that, like, look, even if Jared Kelnick is better than he's been and he he becomes, you know, two or three war player, they need, they still are, they feel like a bat short. So like if they're, if they're at the trade deadline and and they're looking around and there's a good bat on the market that can help them out at the DH or maybe a corner position, then they have to go get it. They have to go get it and, and, and supplement that lineup because that's, what's going to push them through, you know, to win a division you know, like, yeah, everybody talked about how they matched up with the Astros in the in the divisional series. Yeah, that's three games, five games, whatever, to, to really take a division and get that first-round buy and everything. It's, a, it's sustained success, and they it does feel like they're a bat short right now, even if Kelnick is good. It feels like they're a bat short. So they need to go out and get one if they can during the midseason.
0: All right, so I'm looking at the schedule. It's March, March 23rd. Uh, you know, it's surprising. It seems like the A's and the Mariners play like 60 times a year, but we're not going to see you for the whole first month. So you basically, you've got a month. We'll see you March, uh, May 2nd. You got a month to get in shape, get a fake tan, get barbed wire tattoo on your bicep. You got a month to become a Scottsdale bro by the next time we see you.
6: You know, I already have kind of the permanent tan, so I don't know if I need the tan part of it, but, you know, it's like, Probably have to blonde up the hair a little bit. Yeah, the, the tribal tattoo, I don't know if I'll go with that, but uh, I already got one on my leg. It was painful. I am not. I don't handle pain well, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what we can do. I mean, I, the working out thing, I'm a baseball writer. Have you ever seen an in-shape baseball writer ever? <laughs> it just doesn't exist.
0: Hey, we always appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the spring, and we'll see you in May.
6: All right, sounds good. Take it easy.
0: Take care. Are we ready to rock? Are we ready to bring the World Series hero, the pride of the University of California, one of the great alums in the history of that school, uh, played in the College World Series. I don't know what this man hasn't done. He's one of the top television broadcasters in our game. The great Jeff Blum is with us here as we preview the Houston Astros, but we could talk anything with him. Blummer, how are you?
3: I'm doing much better after that intro, man. i got to put you on my PR staff.
0: Well, it is what it is. I mean, when you got it, (laughs) flaunt it, right, as they say?
3: Yep. uh, I I can't argue with that, and I'm going to take it every time I can.
0: Uh, We have new gear sponsoring A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Have you heard of Link Soul?
3: Hey, dude. Link Soul is one of the more legit, uh, California-based, out-of-Oceanside, golf apparel companies I, 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 that's one of the first things I noticed when you hopped on is that you had the link soul. And, uh, I don't know if you've watched a lot of PGA, but Sahith Thigala Mm -hmm. out of Chino Hills is repping their stuff when he's going out there and playing, but yeah, I love link soul. They've got great stuff.
0: So we now for every show, the commander and I will have link soul on the field here, here in the studios. Uh, We have the spring collection going right now that we'll be uh, showing everybody. And then we'll be the summer collection. But, yeah, Link Soul and the Oakland A's and the Oakland A's Radio Network sponsorship throughout 2023. I knew somebody of your your high quality would be able to tell (laughs) our fans. I'm like, it's like what I'm wearing right now. I can go to dinner. I can play golf. Hell, I can go to the beach. You name it. Their stuff is so legit, it's unbelievable.
3: Well, isn't that the key It's to tell your wife that you're going to play golf and that you're still looking good enough to go on that date night or out with the family yeah. and you can transition nicely. So you guys are smart from with, with uh, hooking up with them.
0: So this is the interview we've all kind of like crossed our fingers and said, this is the interview. Blummer says it all falls apart, that this whole dynasty, <laughs> it just it finally crumbles uh, things are just, it's not working out. This is not the Astros year. Is this finally the time? I
3: i mean, maybe for the first month, month and a half, two months, maybe you can argue that a little bit because, you know, you're going to have – I know you're kind of hitting at the Altuve situation with the WBC, breaking the thumb, having surgery, you know, coming back and re- rehabilitating that and getting that swing back is going to be a little bit longer than maybe we, we expect. Uh, Michael Brantley was scheduled to be ready opening day, but had some issues off the field that he had to take care of. So it kind of pushed his start back a little bit. Jordan Alvarez just started hitting. Can he be ready on opening day? And then you've got Lance McCullers Jr. Is when's he going to be able to come back? So yeah. If you're going to look at this and maybe say there's an opportunity to kind of take advantage of the Astros, I wouldn't say knock them off that AL West throne, but I would say if there's an opportunity to take advantage of the Astros early on, this, you know, April, May might be those months where you can, if you can, jump out to a little bit of an early lead and uh, try and take advantage of them not being at full strength because they are going to open the season with some key pieces on the shelf.
0: What is the difference in the team? right now without Justin Verlander?
3: Uh, You know what? I'm not too sure that there is much of a change. But other than the fact, and this is what's interesting, because – you know, when the Astros were developing this run that they were on, they know they knew that they drafted well. They knew that they developed well and got some key young pieces in the big leagues. Uh, they went out and picked up some waiver wires, some free agent guys that were kind of on the fringe and made them better. But they were really lacking that veteran leadership. So you go out and get a Charlie Morton back in 2016-17. You add the Justin Verlander, and all of a sudden you've got that ace at the top of your rotation who can take all the media fire, can be expected to go out against a tough opponent, and keep you in the game and pitch well enough to win. And now you're starting to watch some of these guys who are pitching under that kind of develop a little bit and hopefully they can start to take the reins and become maybe that next Justin Verlander or that next Zach Greinke. Because you're going to see Fromber Valdez a year uh, removed from the year that he had. He's getting smarter. He's getting better. He's getting more experienced. Uh, Christian Javier is kind of the wild card right now because we saw him make such a progression in 2022. Can he move into that 2-3 spot in a rotation? Uh, you know, Luis Garcia seems to have adjusted his delivery, not rocking the baby because of the Manfred yeah. rules that are being impl- implemented. Can he make the next step? So I think these guys are kind of in a position where they, they they would have been better with Justin Verlander, but I think they'll be all right because these guys have another year of experience in being around guys like that, that maybe they can start to take this bull by the horns on their own and see what they can do.
0: Well, you got, well, you you let Verlander walk, but you bring in Jose Abreu. You're talking about bringing in a veteran guy. How, how's he fit in? Obviously another great Chicago White Sox.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, If you can go get a nice White Sox to uh, compliment your team, you should be all right. But Jose Abreu is one of those guys like Michael Brantley for me. When you saw the Indians come in or you went into Cleveland and Michael Brantley was in the middle part of the order, you're going, oh, no. This guy's up again with runners on, and he would drive two runs in. And at the end of the year, you'd see a 280 to 300 batting average, and that's exactly what Michael Brantley's been, if not better, as an Astro. And I think that's kind of the hopes with Jose Abreu because you know as well as I do, being in the American League and watching Jose Abreu, come over and show how how good of a hitter he is not just overall but with guys in scoring position he's a career 300 risk guy and that's what kind of turns me on in this organization is that he'll be in a lineup he'll he'll be in the middle part and he'll have guys that are high on base percentage guys and he'll get his opportunities but the one thing that I didn't know about Jose Abreu is is the sheer size of the man himself, but also the work ethic. Rumor has it that this guy's in at dawn in the weight room, getting it on, has a nice routine developed, gets in the cage, works extremely hard, and then it translates onto the field. So this guy fits right in with the mantra. And I think all the interviews that you saw him do in the offseason when he signed so early with the Houston Astros, maybe not testing that market a little bit, he just said the most important thing he said to me was, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to win. And this is where he felt he was going to be able to do that. So it's a nice transition from Yuli Gurriel to Jose Abreu. He should be a nice fit.
0: Yeah, I mean, you go somewhere to win. I mean, no one's been better than the Astros. I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, when you think about every single year, a team gets a chance to defend their title. And we haven't seen since the late 90s, the Yankees, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays and their run in the early nineties. Why why is it? Why is it so tough? You have that magic, you win the championship, you're basically back at it four and a half months later. It's not like you take years off. What what happens? Why do they why do you lose the mojo so fast? Why haven't we had a repeat champion?
3: I don't know. You know what? I mean, there's a lot of factors of that, but I, I'm as fascinated about it as you are. And it's even more interesting sitting in this seat on a daily basis and watching what they're able to go out there and do. And I think in order for organizations to go out there and repeat, you've got to be able to find a way to create a culture of winning where everybody in there feels that they're on the same page, pushing in the same direction, cheering each other on. There's no animosity. And you kind of have that single-minded goal in mind. And a lot of that comes from leadership. You know, A.J. Hinch did a good job of establishing it. Dusty Baker's done a better job of continuing that momentum. But you also need guys in that clubhouse who really have a thirst for winning, no matter the situation. And that's what I find most interesting about what is happening here in Houston is the fact that you've got guys like – Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, uh, some of these other young guys are kind of latching on the idea, you know, a Kyle Tucker is a guy that jumps to my mind, is when you talk to these guys, and you're around the A's as much as I'm around the Astros, and you start talking to these guys, you want to get in their head a little bit and try and understand because I'm fascinated by their ability to bounce back, like you're saying, after a three, four month offseason and get ready to go again. But as soon as that parade was over, you know, talking to a guy like Alex Bregman, for whatever reason, there's a gear inside this guy that says, that was great, it was a lot of fun, I appreciate it, but I'm not done yet. And I don't know how you instill that in guys, but he wanted to flat out turn around and get into spring training immediately. And it's almost as if he wanted to continue that momentum that they had at the end of the season and just see if they can continue to go with it. Because we both know that these windows – they're so tight, so small, and it's so hard. And I think the reason it is hard and we haven't seen that repeat, uh, that repeat champion is the fact that loyalty is just not there anymore. You're chasing money, you're chasing contracts, there's trades, there's analytics that are telling you that this guy shouldn't be here, or this guy should should be here. And I think that's where you kind of run into the issue is that turnover in the roster sometimes create a, creates a little more of a shockwave that doesn't allow you to go out there and continue to perpetuate that winning mentality.
0: If I said, let's look at the core of the Astros, because, you know, there's going to be players that we don't know about for each team. They're going to get called up. They're going to play a role in how teams do. Right. But if we say the core, is there anybody's core in the American League right now better than the Houston Astros?
3: Man, I I, it would take a lot of digging to be able to do that because you know, out in the west, I think you're seeing the Seattle Mariners and Angels trying to put themselves in a good position. I know the Angels. Just don't have the pitching to be able to do it because your core, if you think about it, is going to be Shohei Otani to Mike Trout in center. And hopefully, hopefully they can get a healthy Anthony Rendon for a season and see what that offense can actually do. And then you add Ward to that mix and maybe all of a sudden you get that surprise guy that you're talking about that can kind of overachieve and boost that lineup a little bit. But uh, for Seattle, I think having Julio Rodriguez out there, the pitching staff that they have uh, with Gilbert on that mound, some of these young guys coming up, Cal Raleigh's kind of stepped up. So that's where I kind of focus a little bit, obviously, on the AL West. But I think that those guys might be the most competitive as far as the Seattle Mariners, of having that continuity and maybe having those core guys that are going to stick around a little bit and provide you the opportunity to maybe – maybe try and quench that thirst of going out there and winning because they've done a good job with Luis Castillo signing some of these guys to complement who they have internally.
0: Yeah, because I think nobody in the Central and then – Oh,
3: Central's crazy, isn't it? I don't even look at them. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the Central, not as much as I love Terry Francona, friend of the program, and I love how they pitch and they actually hit for batting average and they play old school, Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, And then in the East – The Astros own the Yankees. I mean, they have have taken their lunch money now for so many years. Rays are always tough. You never know. We'll see. A lot of people are talking about how good Toronto could be this year. But that's what I'm saying. If you look at the core of all the winning and all the six years of going to the ALCS and two World Series titles and playing in four World Series and all the success. And as you mentioned earlier, the younger guys are contributing and they're coming up and – I don't know if you can say just core wise. I don't think you can say there's a better core than the Houston Astros in the American League.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I feel comfortable saying that because I'm around these guys and get to get a chance to broadcast with them. But there were some serious questions over the years when you lose, like we already talked about, a Justin Verlander, a Zach Greinke, a Garrett Cole. I mean, these are these are bona fide superstar, <laughs> Cy Young MVP, Hall candidates. of Fame. Uh, Yeah, Hall of Fame guys. And then you go out to, you know, George Springer and center field leaves, and they find a way to compensate for that. And all of a sudden a guy like Jordan Alvarez shows up to fit right in the middle of that batting order with the Bregmans, the Altuves, the Brantleys, you know, and, and guys like that. And then all of a sudden last year, they say goodbye to Carlos Correa and wish him well. And all of a sudden this dude, Jeremy Pena, shows up and has a little bit of a roller coaster ride throughout the course of the season, makes a minor adjustment in his swing in september and all of a sudden this guy's a joggernaut and he's carrying him through the championship series and the world series so it's amazing how they've been able to develop and get those guys in there and not and and be able to take that calculated risk losing potential hall of famers and superstars like that it's unreal
0: well that's why we've mentioned on this show and as as much as painful as it is uh, the Astros have been the model. You know, all these people, like yeah. it's, it's like the Rangers are the exact opposite. They're just throwing <laughs> money at all their problems. And that's why I, I try and tell fans, because we haven't won the World Series since 89, but I go, look how many times we've been to the playoffs, and we don't overpay for guys. We don't do it, and fans hate when I say that. But look at the Astros model. As you mentioned, Verlander, Cole, Granky, Springer, Correa, if you get out, if you outprice yourself, they say thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll replace you. It's a great way to do business. What the Astros are doing, they are the business model that is working the best in our sport.
3: Yeah. And you can hate them as much as you want. You can complain about things that happened in the past and and, and all of those things. I get it. Uh, you know, hate them as much as you want, but there is a part of of, a view or us as a as uh prognosticators as media members where you know you have to look at the some of these organizations that have success and go damn I, I can't stand that they keep winning but they have actually done it pretty well mm-hmm. and they did develop a model between Jeff Luno and I'm sure now Dana Brown's going to be able to kind of continue that success here with his ideas that he he's bringing over from the Atlanta Braves but to your point the fact that they don't have they, they have a high payroll but they've been able to hover around that CBT threshold and not get too over it every once in a while able to come back down below it and still kind of rest just below it and continue to go out there and win is really a credit to what the baseball ops have been able to do it's a credit to wh- the way dusty baker josh miller the pitching coach all the hitting coaches that they have and just Developing this talent from the minor leagues into the big leagues to just get on board, continue to fight, grind, play. But you're right, because I've never seen, you know, we've seen good drafts, but we haven't seen consistently good drafting like we did in the, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15 for the Astros when they were losing 100 and developing those guys, knowing when to get them to the big leagues and just adding some of those pieces to them at a, at a, at a right price. They've been very business oriented in going out and do that. And they've taken a lot of emotion out of it. Like you said, sometimes you get emotional and go, that's my guy, take all my money and let's see what happens.
0: All right. Let's end on this. I'm sure there's been things you've been reading, you've been getting ready for what's like the one thing that you want to play out. You want to see the most, what's the one thing in baseball you're most curious about everybody has that one thing. What is it for you?
3: Um, I, I mean, I don't want to just belabor the clock thing. I, I'm still curious about this thing. I want to know what it looks like in a regular season with regular 26-man rosters and managers managing their guys. I still think that that's going to be very interesting to me. I'm a little annoyed at the shift, just if you want to know. But the thing that I want to know or want to see is I want to see this balanced schedule. I love the fact that we've gone to this universal DH. I know it's going to be a little more homogenized as far as rules. But the fact that we get to go into some of these different cities and put on a show with a Mike Trout going into, you know, Pittsburgh or, you know, some of these places and being able to put him on display, I think is going to be a lot of fun. And I also think it's a lot of fun that we are getting out of the American League West. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm, you know,
0: (laughs) Mariners, it's like we play the Mariners every game. Oh, my and, God.
3: Doesn't it feel that way? I mean, the 19 games per team is it's Angels?
0: Too much. Oh, my God. I, I'm so and glad not, we don't have to see Trout yeah. as much. God.
3: No, I'm with you on that. And for whatever reason, the A's play their ass off against the Astros. And I've got to sit there and go, man, I don't know how to explain this other than the fact that they're just they're just beating up on the Astros. But does it, know, so doesn't you,
0: it seem like we don't play each other as much? It seems like, yeah. we, it's like two, two different times in 12 and 19, we went and played in Japan. We played against the Mariners. We came home <laughs> opening day against the Mariners. It's like every other game we had to face King Felix. It's like there's certain organization. It's like, I'm tired of seeing these guys. It's just, yep. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, some new blood will be nice.
3: Yeah, and maybe find that team out there that you do play well against or maybe instead of, you know, facing the Astros in extra time for the Oakland A's, maybe you get to go out there and face – you know the, the the pittsburgh pirates every once in a while or fa- maybe face the miami marlins who are going to be tough but beatable you know maybe expand it a little bit and see what you can go out there and do maybe rack up a couple more wins or experience against some of these teams and obviously for me traveling with the team it's you know selfishly i want to go to some different stadiums and yeah. check out uh some of these ballparks again <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I keep bringing up uh, up Seattle. I mean, I don't need to go to the Fairmont again and eat at Shuckers. I've done that a bazillion right? times. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, I've had all the crab cakes and everything. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, everything.
0: I'm ready to yeah. move on. Give me some more. Yeah, yeah. Give me more South Beach. I can always do a little more South Beach. All right, buddy. That's what we, I'm talking about. we always appreciate it. Can't wait to see you up here in Oakland. You know how everybody uh loves you up here in the Bay. And uh be well. And I don't know. I don't know when we play. When When do we play? We don't We've play until, like, May. Until, like, till, till, till like, May. End of
3: May. Yeah.
0: And hopefully you, got got, to... hopefully you guys are in last place. You're, like, 10 games under five hundred. There it is. May 2026. So, maybe you're right. Maybe these first two months we need to all get our licks in.
3: There we go. Hey, Tony, you ready for this? So, when I see you next in person, I will have had all of my triplets graduate on that Wednesday. So, by the time I show up to Oakland on that weekend, I will have four four girls in college.
0: You're an empty nester?
3: Dude, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. This is my last summer with kids or with uh, high school students. Yeah. This is wow. this is madness. I know you, you, your kids are growing up quick, dude. Minor my,
0: minor juniors. Well, for for people who don't know, when you had your triplets <laughs> playing for the Padres, that was a yeah. big deal. Like it was like national oh. news, a major league baseball <laughs> player has triplets. How is this going to work? How's this guy going to sleep? I mean, it was a big deal when they were born, and they're going to go to college? Oh, wow.
3: Yeah, it happens fast, Tony. You know that. I mean, having kids in high school, is it's chaos as it is. And then all of a sudden, you turn around, and you're like, wait, graduation? Yeah, its uh, I don't know if I'm ready for it, to be honest well, with you, but I, it's going to be good.
0: I can say this. Like, with all the stuff going on, like, Right now, everything for my kids is about college and where they're gonna go and where mm-hmm. everybody's getting into right now. Right? I, don't, I don't think I I don't think I've ever looked more forward to a baseball season than this year, so I can parachute out of this world and just get into my own world and be like, I'm so overhearing about my wife's friends, kids college, my kid I'm ready to get back into our little bubble of baseball and just leave me alone.
3: The The competition between who's going where and who's getting accepted to what oh, is crazy. UCs, but how about the application process, man? It's
0: insane. The, did you know that UCLA is the most applied to college in the country, and they get over 300,000 applicants?
3: Dear God, I didn't know that. I, it's understandable, but I didn't realize it was that high.
0: Yeah, UC Santa Barbara, of course, your alma mater, Berkeley, What's like – There's a lot
3: of smart kids out there. Getting
0: into the UC system is really, really hard. And then they talk about, hey – it's there's no guarantee to get into San Jose State or San Diego State. There's no guarantee for those. That's amazing
3: two. to me. Somebody said that the other day about San Diego State being tough academically, and I about
0: went what? <laughs> <laughs> weren't next they the, the next number one thing party? You thing know you're going to tell me Chico State's tough <laughs> to get into? <laughs> no, no, no offense to all the graduates of the Aztecs and Chico State, but yeah, no, not at all. But I mean, we all knew that going there was
3: a there was a there was some fringe benefits to going to those schools.
0: I grew up. I literally grew up. Two minutes from San Diego State. And when I was growing up, the big news was that they were the number one or number two school, party school in Playboy magazine. It was a safety school of Those safety schools. Days. No one was talking about, I'm going to San Diego State <laughs> to get a great education. <laughs> right? Yep. 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 Times are changing. Like if they said Berkeley, San Diego State, you, you didn't even, they weren't even in the same conversation. Oh. Oh. It's crazy. All right, my man, we'll see you in May. You be well.
3: (laughs) You too. Appreciate uh, being on with you guys, as always. Always love being on with you, Townie. Thank you, man.
0: Take care, buddy. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live. As we said it yesterday, we'll say it again today, he was an outstanding Oakland athletic. No question about it. He was great to us all these years on A's Cast. He will always be a fan favorite. And now he's calling it quits after 14 years what an amazing career. Jed Lowry is with us here. Jed, I got to tell you, congratulations. I don't know if you thought back in those days at Stanford you'd have such a long career, but when you think about it, playing until 38 years old, man, that's really special.
8: Yeah, I mean, I always, I, I always dreamed of it. I always planned on it. But, um, you know, in, in terms of how I went about my business, uh, but but, you know, you just never know how something like that's going to play out. The the odds um, are against everybody who ever picked up a bat, uh, you know, to, to, to do what I was able to do.
0: Yeah, no question. I mean, obviously, everybody thinks they're going to have a long career, but it, it just doesn't always work out like that. And when I think about the Bay Area and how special it is to you and your wife, you both went to Stanford, you met her at Stanford, your best years as a big leaguer. Obviously, three different times you came back and played for the Oakland Athletics. Just talk about what the Bay Area has meant to you in your life.
8: Yeah, I mean, very, very influential, formative years there. And, um, you know, it was a uh, it, it, it's a place that uh, we will we will frequent, uh, you know, to come back and and, uh, you know, go to reunions and see friends. And um, so, yeah, it,
0: it uh, the Bay Area will always be a big part of our lives. What was it about Oakland that when you put those white cleats on that everything just played out just the way you wanted to? Because you had some monster years with the A's.
8: Yeah, I, I, you know, I've said this, I've said this a lot, but I, you know, I think, I think Bob Melvin did a a really good job of, you know, of, of allowing, um, you know, players to be themselves, but also, uh, you know, demanding uh, a lot from them. And that's a hard balance to strike. And, and, you know, I think that's why he's had so much success in his career as a manager. Uh, So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think the, the freedom to kind of, you know, be be myself, and I had the trust of um, of the organization and of Bob to you know go about my business because they knew that I was going to um, they knew that I was going to show up and perform every night.
0: You know, I remember back in 2013, we did your first interview. It was funny; it was in that old tin can because uh, the wind was <laughs> so bad. It was the uh, Raiders ticket booth, and to think that you know you leave. You come back, you leave, you come back again. What 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 was that like? You know, there's 30 teams. What was it like? You keep coming back to the A's.
8: Yeah, it, I mean, I think my I think my profile fit really well with the A's and what they look for in players. Um, and you know, I had like I said, I had success, uh, and I, it felt like a place that I, I could. Be myself, and um, they were always able to get the most out of me.
0: You know, something that we yep. we don't always talk about with a lot of people, but it's basically being that mentor, being that veteran guy. You know, everybody thinks about what a veteran guy can do for people as a player from a standpoint of in between the lines. But there's a lot of stuff that happens for players, especially young players outside the lines that I know you've helped a lot of players along the way. What did that mean to you to be that leadership guy? I know Bob Melvin would talk to us about you and being that. What did that mean to you that you helped a lot of players not only on the field, but you help them with stuff off the field? Yeah,
8: I, I mean, I think that's when when you spend as much time with the you know with the teammates that you do during a baseball season, um, you, you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna find ways. Uh, it's in order to get the most out of everybody and get where you want to be as a team. You know, you you have to invest fully in, in the guys, um, and and so that you know, you everybody everybody uh, you, you know has something going on um, at, at home or. Um, you know, just there, there, there's more than just baseball, and so I think, you know, there's times where you have to, uh, you know, sometimes baseball is an escape from all that, and, you know, sometimes it's just impossible not to, not to bring some of that to the field, and so you, I, I always tried to help guys put things in perspective to, to try to get them, you know, let them get the most out of themselves.
0: You know, when I think about your multiple runs with the A's, you had multiple runs, kind of, kind of different eras, different teams where you made the playoffs. Is there one team that you look back on that will be the the most fondest memories uh, of the playoffs and, and and competing and winning with the A's? Uh,
8: you know that that's that that's a tough one. And, you know, each each individual group is going to be different. You guys like you know Brandon Moss and Josh Reddick and um Coco those guys are you know all all guys that I um you know I really enjoyed but they were you know uh, a little bit more veterans that we kind of had an identity and um you know it was it was a little um smoother I think if I if I had to pick um I would say you know coming up with like the Ole Chapman Pinder like where I probably had you know more influence Simeon Um, where I had more influence and, you know, hopefully impact um, as that veteran player, you know, and and you got these, you got these three young guns coming up, you know, thinking, you know, thinking pretty high of themselves, pretty vocal (laughs) right away. I was a little skeptical at first, but they ended up being You know, some of my favorite teammates of all time. So, if I had to pick, I would have said that group with, you know, the Ole, the Chapman, the Pinders, and the Simeons.
0: I'm glad you picked that year because I'm looking at it. 2018, you're 34 years old. You make the all-star team. You, you, you know, 23 home runs, 99 RBIs, 37 doubles, and 801 OPS. Yeah, you had these young guns coming up, but Bob Melvin relied on you right there in the middle of the order. I, I really look at that year. You stayed healthy. You were super productive. And, my gosh, you made the all-star team.
8: Yeah. I, I mean, I just kind of the, the culmination of a – you know, of, of a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, bumps along the way, the, uh, you know, having to come back from injury. And so, you know, getting that, you know, getting that opportunity to represent the A's at the All-Star game um, was a special moment for me and, and me being able to share that with my family.
0: You know, we talk about hitting doubles. I know we did with the, did this with you in the past. It's there's an art form to hitting a lot of doubles. There's something about being able to sniff it. There's understanding outfielders' arms. There's understanding the outfield walls. There's a lot that goes in to getting a lot of doubles. And obviously, you had some monster years, including the all-time record 49 in one season for the Oakland Athletics. You think Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson, Hall of Fame players, uh, great players, Jason Giambi, Jose Canseco, you have that record. You have another year at 45. Just talk to us. There is an art about getting a lot of doubles. Tell us what's that like, and what was the mindset?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, I think the most important thing is that you know you're not strong enough to hit um, homers consistently, or not fast enough to hit triples.
0: Lot you yeah but there were there were a couple there were a couple of years you actually do a triple that was my
8: that was my that was my attempt at deadpan, County. You were
0: supposed to you were supposed to laugh at that. I was like, "Is he serious?"
8: <laughs> you just but no. I think I, I think I think there is you know I I think there is you know a little bit of seriousness in that right where like I I, ha- I had power but um you know the Coliseum isn't um always the friendliest for fly balls. Um, and you know, I, I certainly wasn't uh stick around in the game because of my speed. Um, but, but I, I hit a lot of line drives. Um, I had a, you know, a lot of backspin line drives, uh, in the gaps and in the corners. And, you know, I did, I had a nose for, I had a nose for a second. I was always looking for the double.
0: You know, you and your wife have done a lot. Once again, we start talking about off the field, uh, do you have plans to carry on what what are the plans that you guys for you guys still to help people while still using the baseball platform
8: yeah no I, I definitely we will continue uh, a lot of the work that we've uh, started uh, I, I think uh, most importantly is just trying to continue to promote participation in the game um, I think that's a, you know I think that's a a huge um, a huge thing in the, um, health and, uh, longevity of the game of, of, baseball. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to, I'd love to stay involved, um, at a high level as well. I, I mean, I, um, I love thinking about the game and, um, you know, where the game is and, and, um, you know, how it can get better. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully I get, uh, get an opportunity to, uh, you know, continue to help, uh, you know, the game, uh, evolve and grow.
0: I don't know if you've had this conversation. We're going to a- actually ask David Force this on the David Force show. But I see a role. I mean, you got your kids. You want to see your kids grow. You've earned that right. But I would love to see somehow Jed Lowry still around, special assistant, get you in uniform. For spring training, because I mean, the knowledge that you have, especially hitting, to help younger players, even players at the big league level. I know you're not going to jump into a full-time job, but could you see yourself? And have you talked to potentially the A's about some type of a deal where you come back and you're with the organization?
8: Uh, I, I have not talked to them uh, about that. Um, I that doesn't uh, that doesn't mean that I you know wouldn't. Have a, have a level of in interest in, in doing something like that. Uh, I think there's a lot of possibilities for me um, moving forward. And I just need to figure out what that is. But, but I would also, like I said, love to stay involved uh, in the game. Um, I, I do feel like I've uh, gained a lot of institutional knowledge. And, and I have some, um, you know, I, I think that I can, you know, help guys uh, continue to, you know, perform at their best.
0: Let's end on this. What are the plans now? You retire. I know you're building a gym at the house, so you're gonna get yeah. you're gonna get yoked. Uh, is it is, <laughs> is it golf? Is it tra I know you guys in the past have loved to travel. What's Jed gonna do now that he's retired?
8: Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think golf is uh, something that I'll I'll continue to you know try to improve at. Just yeah, and it's a great. Uh, great game for me to just get out and kind of decompress after you know all these years of uh, uh of playing as as someone uh as one of my teammates just texted me yesterday you know baseball years are like dog years um so there's there's a little there's a little decompression that probably needs to happen but I'll, I'll definitely stay involved um you know continue to have conversations uh with um you know people throughout the game at different levels and and you know find a way to Find a way to contribute, you know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully at very high levels of the game, and then and then find ways to, um, you know, contribute locally as well.
0: Well, I, I gotta say that you know your time in Oakland obviously very special for all of us, and you, you you know I'll put it this way: when there were a lot of knuckleheads in the clubhouse, you were the adult in the room. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> was a good was a good way to uh, put it. I-
8: I've always I've always been an old soul, so I, you know that uh, that that uh, I I'm not offended by
0: that. <laughs> well, it, it meant a lot to us, and you were always so good to us, uh, a's cast, and then of course uh, when we we're at the old sports radio station, a true pro. We followed you from Stanford. Your great time at Stanford as a you know all American, all Pac-10 guy. And then to come here and do what you did. And everybody's going to remember you as a great A. So I just personally want to thank you. Everything you always did for us. I really appreciate it. I loved watching you play. I loved, I loved covering you. And nothing but the best to you and your family. And uh, I'm going to talk to David Forrest. I'm going to try and make this thing happen. We want we want to see you. Or we, we don't want you to go away. We still want you to be a part of the A's family.
8: I appreciate that, Tony. I appreciate all the kind words as well.